Hey, 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 before we get started with today's show, I'd like to say thank you to some wonderful people. These personal heroes of mine are people who've gone to patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson and decided to kick me a few bucks to help support the shows that I'm doing. I appreciate them very much. And they are Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zolgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, and many more. Once again, that was patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. All patrons of the show get the ability to vote on polls for games to come up on the show, bonus episodes, and much, much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. Head on over and check out the bonus goodies that you can get too, as well as my undying love and respect. All right, on to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to pull a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss our experiences with it. My guest today is a friend of the show, co-founder and writer for Epilogue Gaming, co-host of Left Behind Game Club podcast, and golfing enthusiast, Flora (laughs) Marigold. Flora, welcome to the show. Thank you much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about our game today. We're going to talk about The Last of Us Part 2. But before we get into that, I do want to give you a little bit of time to to talk about Epilogue Gaming, talk about Left Behind Game Club. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Epilogue Gaming is a website. It's focused on video games as kind of art, literature, and a storytelling medium. So really diving deep in games that leave a lasting impact, games that you kind of like think about after the fact. And it's a very Mm spoiler-heavy website coming from different perspectives, focusing on different games at different times. Um, And then the Left Behind Game Club is a podcast with um, a different group of folks that kind of rotate in and out each uh, month around various individual games from various time periods, kind of all over the place between retro and modern. And it's a book club style show where we all sit around and play it. And then we come to the table with our thoughts, kind of hash it out for an hour and sometimes longer. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of never know what we're going to do next, honestly. Yeah, it's um, it's a really good show. I've listened to the podcast ever since kind of connecting with you a couple of months ago. Um, I really enjoy the show. And um, not unlike this show here. So like if people are listening, I hope people are listening to this because they like this show. Uh, if you like Tales from the Backlog, you will also like Left Behind Game Club. I can pretty much guarantee that uh, it's quality stuff. Question for you. Is the name related to The Last of Us at all? You know, I've never actually asked. So I have to first tip my hand and say that I am not a founder of the Left Behind Game Club. Okay. <laughs> I hopped on um, a few years into the project as a fan and then later collaborator and finally a like permanent host. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never had the conversation I would need to with Jacob McCourt, the founder of it. Um, okay. but, but like, obviously that invokes the DLC, right? Um, right. and so yeah. I'd be willing to say there's something there. It at least feels like a, like a cousin or something. Uh, I don't right. know if it's directly inspired. Yeah. And it's, I mean, also the, it's kind of like that, back, that backlog style show too. the games that kind of get left behind, um, in the backlogs, kind of like this show. Definitely. So I'll give a recommendation for everyone at the top of the show to check out Epilogue Gaming um, and check out the Left Behind Game Club podcast for 
video game stuff in multiple media. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about The Last of Us Part 2, an action-adventure horror game developed by Naughty Dog, published by Sony for PlayStation 4 in 2020. And an elevator pitch for The Last of Us Part 2. If people are listening and you're not sure what it is, it is a sequel to The Last of Us from 2013, where you see the consequences of all the actions you took in that game. Flora, how would you pitch The Last of Us Part 2? My pitch is that The Last of Us 2 is a massive AAA-style release that, at least in 2020, was on the cutting edge of things like technical prowess and queer representation. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I played this on PS5. Uh, it took me 26 hours to play. Do you know roughly about how long it took you and wh- where did you play it? Uh, I think it took me roughly like 32 hours. Um, I spent a lot of time just rifling through drawers, I think is how I reached yes. that point. <laughs> um, but um, I played it on a just base PS4 back in like right at release. Okay, sweet. Uh, so if people are listening and you did not play The Last of Us Part 2, here is when I tell you about the spoiler policy for the episode. Um, this is the kind of game, actually, that is the reason I structure this show the way it is, because this is a game that is very easily spoiled. The type of spoilers that, like, I don't care how much you say you don't care about spoilers. There are some spoilers in this game where you're like, ah, fuck. <laughs> so... This is why we're going to do no spoilers for a while. And if you haven't played The Last of Us Part 2, don't worry. Uh, We will put a timestamp down in the show notes. So if you haven't played, go look in the show notes, find that timestamp. You can tap out then before the spoilers uh, hit. So uh, getting into our personal histories with The Last of Us Part 2 and the series, uh, the first game as well. So Flora, what's your history with the series? Why did you want to play Part 2? Um, so I remember the lead up to The Last of Us back in the PS3 era. And at the time, I felt that the zombie genre in fiction was incredibly oversaturated. And I felt mm-hmm. a little exhausted at the idea of yet another zombie story. Uh, but somehow, I don't I don't remember the process here. I actually ended up day wanting it. And um, I remember <laughs> blowing through the game in what my memory tells me is one sitting, but probably is two, given the length of the game. And mm-hmm. I kind of pr- started proselytizing it to my friends. And I brought a friend over and like got him to play it. And then we walked over to another friend's house and brought my copy over and like got them to play it. And it just was mm-hmm. one of those, dare I say, infectious gaming experiences. <laughs> and nice. um, I ended up playing a ton of Factions, the multiplayer version mm-hmm. on the um, original game, which I-, I was incredibly disappointed wasn't a part of two, but like we're getting a multiplayer one in the future. So that's, you know, that's something to look forward to, I suppose. Yeah. But um, I I didn't really touch Last of Us ever again. It was just kind of in the back of my mind, a really positive memory. Um, I later revisited it closer to, uh, I want to say 2018, uh, once the announcement and trailers had started coming out for the sequel. And I, I, for whatever reason, didn't finish that playthrough because I, I just, something about it didn't hold up to me in the same way. It's not mm-hmm. the cutscenes or the writing or the acting. It's something to do with like the sort of corridor shooting and the overwrought term of like ludo narrative dissonance where, um, I, I was kind of jarred between the game wasn't using itself as a medium to help tell its story. So, um, it was a weird mismatch of like memory and current experience. And so mm-hmm. anyway, I just, I fell off that playthrough fast forward and then the hype during the height of COVID in 2020. Um, I wanted something exciting and big to play. And so um, the trailers looked immaculate, got the like ultimate collector edition and everything. And, uh, and so day one it, marathoned it. And uh, well, I should withhold my thoughts there. That's my history. Okay. All right. So 
I didn't have a PS3 back when it came out, so I didn't um, didn't play it right away. I think I swapped consoles, like I traded my 360 with a friend, and I got his PS3. So I played The Last of Us. Uh, I didn't like it back when I first played it. I, I I think I only I like when I replayed it. I realized I was like two and a half hours, three hours into the game when I when I stopped the first time. Hmm. Really wasn't that far. Um, but then I replayed it last year. Uh, after I beat Elden Ring, I was like, I need a linear story game. And so I replayed The Last of Us and I really liked it. And um, I will recommend people if you want to hear that episode. I did that uh, last year with Ben from Play Along Podcast. Uh, I think that was a really good conversation. So I will just drop that little plug. But when The Last of Us Part 2 dropped, I was still in that like The Last of Us isn't very good camp. Hmm. So I just ignored it. I didn't pay attention. I didn't think I would ever play it. I didn't join conversations about it. I didn't hear the discourse about it. I was just tuned out. (laughs) And after I replayed it, I enjoyed it. I was like, okay, uh, now I'm going to play The Last of Us Part 2. And the TV show uh, was on or coming up. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch season one and then I'll play it. And that's what I did. Uh, I'm getting into some opening thoughts here. I... Okay, it's really hard for me to say I really enjoyed The Last of Us Part Two, hmm. but I think it's a really good game. I think the story takes a lot of big swings. I think the story hits on many of them, not all of them. Uh, but I, before we get in, in the spoiler section, we're going to talk about it. I just want to say I respect the hell out of them for taking the big swings that they did with the story. They took some ideas that a lot of people would say, no, we can't do that. And they tried it. And I think a lot of it was successful. Some of it wasn't. Um, Gameplay, really good. Big improvement over the first game. And I think that's all I'm going to say at the beginning. And of course, we're going to dig into this over uh, the rest of the show here. How about you? As for... I I pretty much agree with everything you just said. Um, I I really... As you probably know, uh, I dislike this game quite strongly, but I don't uh, feel a lack of respect for it, which is a weird middle place to be. Um, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like the, the gameplay is such an impressive evolution from the original game. It's so much more dynamic. And I find the, like down to the physics, like there, there was a, a Twitter meltdown back when the game came out around rope physics in this game. I don't yeah. know if it stuck out to you while playing, but what Naughty <laughs> Dog di- uh, did with the actual like cable physics during some certain puzzle sequences and whatnot is as close to realistic a simulation as I think any big game has ever really done because most mm-hmm. games you just kind of press a button, something works and it's like this quick, like awkward animation. But, um, yeah. th- there's some just magnificently impressive stuff, especially considering the constraints of the base PS4. The fact that it was able to, to showcase all of these dense environments and everything, I think is fantastic. Um, and I even respect, um, the I guess the word is boldness for the writing. I disagree with almost all of the writing decisions and the characters who make their decisions, their motivations don't work for me. But Mm -hmm. um, as a story, like the fact that this exists with the budget underneath it, that like this, I can't imagine going up the corporate ladder, people saying yes to this project. And so it's kind of cool that this was allowed to be made, even if I, Mm -hmm. as, as I've written about before, found this game to be incredibly disappointing. Okay. So we're going to dig into all of those things. And after this music break, we're going to start with the story setup.
So in The Last of Us Part 2, this picks up a little bit after the end of The Last of Us Part 1. I'm not going to spoil how that game ends because I think that game has a great ending. Okay. But I will say it picks up at the end. Joel and Ellie are living with, uh, I guess I'm spoiling that Joel and Ellie are there, but Joel (laughs) and Ellie are living uh, with Joel's brother Tommy in their settlement in Jackson, Wyoming. And I'll just say that they're living with the consequences of a choice that Joel made at the end of the first game. That's all I'll say. Uh, but things kind of seem like they've settled down. It's like everyone's living a routine life. They're hunting. They're going out on patrols. They're having relationships. They're hanging out around the settlement. I think it's as about as normal as it gets in the world of The Last of Us. And that's where I'm going to stop with the story setup. Spoilers are something that uh, I, I got spoiled on a big thing in this game. And I don't want to do that to anybody else. Some dude at lunch uh, at work was just like, hey, did you know in The Last of Us Part 2, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, But anyway. That's um, so messed up. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the plot in the spoiler section. But there's a couple other story things that I want to talk about. First things, this might be the bleakest game that I can remember playing. Uh, I never felt good after a session of playing this game. I will second that entirely. Like this is, uh, if someone told me, Hey, do you have a piece of fiction you could recommend to make me feel miserable? I think this would be in my top three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's something like I've always heard that about, uh, the road, which I've never seen or same. read yeah. the road, but it, same kind of thing. I, I, it's every single time I turned off the game, I was like this, you know, maybe I have another half hour to play games, but I just, I'm just going to go do something else for that time. I don't really feel like playing anymore. Um, and part of that is gameplay. Part of that is the story though. And it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a bleak world. The last of us one set that up and a lot of bleak shit happens in that game. And they really lean into it in this game. Yeah. And I think the bleakness is further built by the sort of cynical reading of humankind and how humanity is Mm -hmm. going to respond to an existential crisis like this, which I mean, it's an interesting thing, right? Because this game came out during the middle of a, a unforeseen global pandemic like that people had never experienced in the entire lifetimes. And so we kind of got a brief glimpse into how humanity responds, whether selfishly or altruistically. And this game wants to say that we will pick the selfish path most of the time. And um, mm-hmm. and I, I find that a little disheartening, uh, personally, like philosophically, I don't want to come to that conclusion. And I don't want to uh, assume that people are going to innately be selfish. Uh, but seeing that like lack of humanity in the sort of tribal nature that develops in this apocalyptic Mm -hmm. world um, is itself a kind of bleakness, I would say. Yeah. You know, I, like, I don't, I would like to think that I philosophically disagree with the idea that humanity will do all of these fucked up things to each other, Mm -hmm. given the opportunity. But then I played another game. I played Eastward for the show Hmm. several months ago now. And that game is kind of set in a post-apocalypse with a father and daughter situation. And I I hated how bright and cheery that game was. It didn't make any sense to me. So I guess like this does jive with what I want out of this kind of setting a little Mm -hmm. bit more than those, uh, those happy go lucky type tales, um, in the same type of setting. Every time a character has the decision of whether to do the, the fucked up thing or to choose compassion, they usually choose to do the fucked up thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this world. And that's, that's a, it's a good observation for sure. 
Well, additionally, I would say that that's a useful counterexample that I don't want this to be completely like sunshine rainbows because the thing that makes this story uh, have weight is the sacrifice and the suffering involved with a lot of the decisions and the relationships and the moments Mm -hmm. of levity and love that come through the various characters and relationships. I I won't speak to any of those within this game necessarily, but at least in the prior game, like the thing that hooked me with The Last of Us originally was the moments that make you laugh and smile, Um, the little like magazine Mm -hmm. jokes and... And um, other <laughs> such like, yeah, it's just flippant. It's silly. It's crude. Um, but those little bonding moments are what brought me through that experience, including some of the more difficult stuff emotionally. And um, I think that that was maybe part of my dislike of this game is my expectation for it. Uh, that's what I kind of wanted to have a through line with moving into the next game is more of that, the the hopeful parts of the relationship amongst all of that cynicism. Mm hmm. Um, I, I do think this game has moments of that, but they're much fewer and far between, yeah. I feel like. And some of that uh that that childlike sense of humor has been ground out of For sure. uh of some of the characters. Absolutely. One other thing that kind of like makes this game feel as as grueling as it is, is that I said this game took twenty six hours. You said thirty two or something like that, right? Rough estimate, yeah. Yeah. Um the first game is like a 10 to 15 hour game. Mm-hmm. This is easily twice as long, maybe three times as long for some people. And it still has the same kind of what, like the first game was a little bit more whimsical at times, but not, I mean, it wasn't like a funny game all the time. No, no. it was still a pretty dark game. This one's three times as long and it's still, and it's even darker than the first game was. Yeah. And I found that too. Number one, be grueling as I played, which I think is intentional. Mm-hmm. I think they want you to feel that way. Yeah. But I also felt like the story pacing as a result, this didn't need to be a 26-hour story, in my opinion. I completely agree. And I think that like one of the problems... I. We're not going to hit the spoiler part of this yet, but Last of Us 2 does some really structurally different things with how it, it like paces its narrative and where it focuses yeah. um, in terms of its characters. And I think that that... Um, that focus makes me think that if you simply had a, um, a cutting room floor here, you could have two games here that you release separately. Uh, and it would make both chronological and thematic sense once you, you know, talk through all of the spoiler components of Last of Us 2. Uh, and mm-hmm. the fact that it's jammed together as a narrative, I think is a mistake. I, I don't personally think it's a mistake to put them together because I like how they build and then suddenly merge them. Hmm. Um, that, that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if I'm like, you know, if I pick specific plot points and I think like, oh, maybe I don't agree with this specific thing that happens or how this character reacts in this situation, I still like the idea to do that. Mm-hmm. I just think that like if you have two 12-hour games, you this game could have cut four or five hours from each of them and been fine, I think. Yeah. Especially one of them in particular, which we'll talk about uh, later. So I like... I was worried when I saw the playtime on how long to beat. I was like, how is this How is this game going to be this long? And I also thought, uh, I tend to finish games faster than a lot of other people because I am not a completionist by any means. I just, I log all the games I play on how long to beat. So I compare them to the, the average times and I'm usually faster than the times. Not with this game. <laughs> it was like, it is a solid 25 hour game at minimum, I think. So, um, what do you think about that idea that they know that this is a grueling experience for the player? Do you think this was intentional by Naughty Dog? 
Oh, yeah, certainly. I would say that that's, if anything, evidenced by some of the moments where the game decides to present you with what would otherwise be a cutscene, but instead you are forced to participate in it by doing some button pressing. Mm. Um, and by making the player, like, implicated in certain violent scenes, uh, for example... Uh, I, I do think that that's the developers tipping their hand more than I think they c- ought to. Uh, I find it interesting as a mechanic because what I, my biggest complaint about The Last of Us 1 is that it doesn't use its medium to tell its story very well. The Last of Us 2 does a lot better of a job of that. And in those moments mm-hmm. um, where the cutscenes, you have to do certain button presses. I think that um, though I kind of resent the developers for making me do that because I disagree with the action, <laughs> it's an effective technique uh-huh. of inspiring guilt and feeling complicit um, because you could simply put the controller down and stop playing. Um, I, I don't really think that's an airtight like defense against my action, but um, same. I, I would like to see the next thing in this game, even if it makes me feel bad getting through it. Um, and the bleakness, I think... Um, it, it's so intentional in terms of, um, again, speaking vaguely where this game leaves off. Um, I don't, do you think it would be a spoiler for me to mention the menu, the main menu? Uh, no. Okay. So the beginning of the game, you have a different menu scene than the ending of the game. And, um, the fact that it pushes you through it, it starts off with what would otherwise be the bleak one and it leaves you in a different place. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that that journey, um, symbolically, just visually speaking, is also the developers saying pretty clearly that, like, we understand that this was a very difficult experience. Here's your tiny little ray of sunlight. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I was going to ask you how you felt about, um, the kind of using the medium as opposed to your um, critique of The Last of Us Part One. So I'm I'm glad you felt that way. Even if, like you said, um, now I'm involved in it. Now I have a stronger connection to what's happening. And if you don't like what's happening, then I definitely get uh, feeling even stronger in one direction or another. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, another part of the pacing I just mentioned, you know, as it relates to pacing and less story, but. I think that a lot of the combat sections in this game go on longer than they need to go on too. And that's so like, if there, I would say that there's some story sections that I think like, what was the point of this other than to make me feel worn out? Could you have made me feel worn out in one hour instead of six? But part of that also is that some of these combat sections just go on for fucking ever. And I get that grueling feeling by some of the way the combat mechanics go. We'll talk about those in a bit. And it all just contributes to a game that I am like firmly, this game is too long. It, it needed to be cut down. I agree. I think actually some of the areas you could cut the most easily from this game while maintaining coherence is like the amount of encounters that you face. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those, like I think this game is at its best when it's presenting uh, you with something new in combat. And um, whether that is, like you said, we'll talk mechanics in a second, so I don't want to get too into that but there there are moments where you are reacting to situations that were not there in the first game there are moments where Mm -hmm. as you push through the story there are new elements of combat introduced and also little kind of gimmicks and one-offs and just when the game is keeping you on its toes and and making you distrust the familiarity of what like how you previously navigated a combat situation then i'm engaged as soon as i'm extendedly like pushing through like almost through just corridors worth of um of combat encounters that just kind of keep refreshing that is where uh, I, I resent it because so many times in all of Naughty Dog games, but this game especially, um, 
there something goes wrong, a floor collapses beneath you, a pole falls, <laughs> whatever. All of a sudden, you're detoured and you're, you have to spend another 20 minutes exploring to the landmark that you just pointed at on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So I, I think trim away those things, those little detours, and it becomes a much more streamlined experience, albeit linear. But uh, with a game like this, I find that to be a strength of the storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one of the things that kind of contributes to that grueling feeling of it all, and this is a famous thing about the game, I heard about this long before, um, is that when you're fighting enemies, they're more human, they feel more human, they're animated in a more human way than uh, just goons in most other games. So they talk, they have conversations right up until the point where you start attacking them. Um, they They die with these really uh, just horrific shrieks Dave! and screams. <laughs> and then like they call out their friends' names. Uh, if their friend stops responding, if they find their friend's body, they'll say, oh, fuck, someone, they got Flora. <laughs> no. So that stuff works, but like by hour 10 of the game, mm-hmm. that didn't bother me anymore. So I already felt that, like the brutality of it all. And I already, I already feel worn out by what's happening just extending it, I don't think adds a whole lot. That's that's what I'm working toward here. To speak to the name call out thing, I actually found yeah. that backfired in my playthrough. What it's trying to Did do it? in serving for the player is to make you feel guilty and the, see the humanity in who you're killing. But for me, I just laughed. Yeah. I just thought it was goofy that they were like, oh, no, oh, like, like, and then that makes them vulnerable to your next attack. And so it just didn't play well for me because especially mm. the number and the volume, like you're saying about the, like the amount of time you're killing these things. Um, it makes these moments feel asymmetrical in the story where in a cutscene or with an importantly named character, it's suddenly an uh, ethical concern consideration that you feel really guilty about but when it's these just like packs of people who the game has decided to name and try and personify uh they still function as just disposable and because the combat is actually really well designed uh, it's engaging to take them out um it is you're not rewarded for sneaking past them and leaving them to their little lives so mm-hmm. kind of along those lines of feeling guilty and thinking about thinking about what you're doing, especially if you, if you ever have any choice in what you're doing or how you approach things. Um, this, one of the things that this game I think focuses on theme wise is I, and I kind of mentioned it before in the elevator pitch is we're kind of following up on choices that people have made actions that they've done in the past and how those things can come back to bite you. And it happens to multiple people, uh, throughout the game. I think it's really something they wanted to focus on that idea that your consequences have actions um, and that maybe you're the hero of somebody's story, but you're the villain in somebody else's, mm-hmm. uh, again, happens to multiple people throughout the game. Um, did this idea work for you at all? As far as like creating empathy through opposition, I, I think ultimately it did not work for me. Um, I, I can respect what it's going for and how it's going about it. Um, but th- there are some specific moments in the writing, which I think we'll have to wait until the spoiler section to get into where yeah. I simply don't believe, um, the the motivations of the characters anymore and and mm-hmm. because of that lack of of buy-in then i don't really find the sincerity in the lesson this game is trying to teach um i i do think that like when you frame any conflict from one character's position you are biasing yourself against the empathetic position of another but this game i think overreaches with that and maybe even i would go as far as to say this game sort of assumes that its player isn't going to pick up on those themes. And so it makes mm. sure that you notice them, which I, I would prefer if it didn't. That's true. It, it, there were a couple of parts uh, for sure that are like, you're on board, right? We're going to make sure that you're on board <laughs> for sure. 
I, th- I thought this was interesting and this is part of those um, big risks that I, I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's in a, of course, no specifics, but I really respect that they made this one of the focal parts of the game that they're taking what you might expect the story of the last of us part two to be given what the last of us part one was and just doing something totally different with it. And I like that. I like the change in focus. I like the change in, in theme. And I like that consequences have actions for basically everyone who makes major decisions in the game, uh, or yeah, actions have consequences. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, for basically everyone in the game, those uh, those things come back. Uh, sometimes they bite the characters, sometimes they don't, but they always come back and you, they have to face them. And I do think that that's something that video game protagonists have to deal with like not often enough. Uh, Naughty Dog, Nathan Drake never has to deal with anything he does. He's just moving on with his life onto the next treasure hunt. And so I like that. So I think that that is a good time to um, cut off the story talk for now. We'll pick it back up in the spoiler section, but um, I wanted to just kind of touch on those things a little bit, especially talking about how long the game is, because there's multiple people who I talked to. I mean, I talked to a lot of people about games in the Tales from the Backlog Discord server, plug, plug, hey. uh, who <laughs> just, you know, mentioned this game as like a game that they can't finish, uh, because it it just it wears you down and um we had an episode on the show about long games and burnout and why some long games keep us engaged for 100 hours mm-hmm. and some don't and this game was brought up even though it's not a 100 hour game yeah. as a game that people burn out on and i i can see that for sure so let's talk about the way it looks and uh the voice acting and stuff like that so you i think you mentioned it at the beginning um technical prowess mm-hmm. on display this triple A ass triple A video <laughs> game. Uh, this game looks fantastic. I think like across the board, visuals, animations, facial capture, it all looks great. I fully agree. I, I have basically zero issues with anything in the presentation of this game. Um, in fact, the animations, uh, they, f- they frequently impress me. There are things in this game down to the crafting table in this, like the fact that you modify your weapon and every single time there's an animation for the new attachment, mm-hmm. the new upgrade, like the depth of detail at every level of this game's design is above. I, I think it, it sets the standard for its peers, at least in 2020. Um, it was one of the most, if not the best looking um like visual fidelity sort of games uh, at, at the time as well. And very few things have really surpassed it in my mind. Um, like I think about the characters in particular as the hallmark success of this game, but Naughty Dog is also incredibly well known for their massive environmental set pieces. And this game yeah. has several of those. Um, they're also like, I also want to mention the fact that this game should have chugged super hard on my base ps4 but it didn't there was one mm-hmm. section that i can think of in the entire game where there was like a performance hiccup and it was when i was uh there were you have a boat in the last of us part two at various points and yeah. um there was a moment where i was using a boat to like move around and the frames just totally got killed in that area where all the water and all the like foliage and the jungle stuff was but um mm-hmm. but by and large this game performs incredibly well it looks more impressive than it has any right to and um especially like i said in terms of characters i think that they have some of the most unforgettable and detailed down to the texture on their jeans sort of level um design like the care is just unbelievable it's immaculate it's impressive etc yep 
it's uh it it really is it's a marvel um i played on ps5 it looks as good as any ps5 game i've like ps5 exclusive game that i've played just really great the animations uh you mentioned for um the people the characters the horses everything um I, i'm thinking in my head when you do a stealth choke out on somebody the way they kind of like grasp at your face and just frantically paw mm-hmm. at you is just a little detail for, and you're going to see it a bunch throughout the game if you're playing stealthy, but it's, it's so good in it. Like it's part of that making you feel bad for, uh, choking this person out or mm-hmm. stabbing them in the throat or something like that. But the animations sell that just as much as them calling out the names of the people that you killed. Right. It's, it's just, ah, it's so good. Yeah. The, um, the infected are also, presented in a really cool way obviously a big step up from the ps3 even the the remaster on ps4 that i played uh they look brutal some of the new types of infected uh look real creepy Mm -hmm. um and one thing i want to shout out is the lighting which is you know another difference between ps3 and late stage ps4 right lighting technology has gotten a lot better in video games and this game you're in the dark a lot Mm -hmm. and the way that the way that lights behave, your flashlight, other lights in the environment, but the way that they're set up to create these really tense situations when you're going through sewer tunnels or in a dark hospital or something like that, it's really great. Speaking of the lighting, I my favorite thing about this game is the dense foliage environments. And there are some mm-hmm. scenes where you're crawling through like ferns in a forest and out in the distance, there are these little like torches lighting up otherwise what is just a dark kind of hazy ambient field. And there's also an unforgettably lit red like subway scene underground yeah. where the way it, yeah. it, it projects and obscures the environment, but also in other scenes like highlights the the agony on certain characters faces those moments also are are just burned into my brain and it's in all due to that lighting you mentioned yeah you brought up that subway uh, tunnel <laughs> part so i'll just ask you did you find this game to be scary uh there were a couple times i'm sure that got me and the there is a certain boss battle sequence where i remember out loud uh saying like oh shit oh shit oh shit as i ran around <laughs> um but that i think that's more adrenaline than genuine fear because this game didn't make me feel dread which i think is the worst thing like it it had a few like unexpected jump scare sort of moments but there were very very few occasions where i was sitting there just unwilling to press forward like in a dead space corridor. Um, I, I think it was it was creepy and it had horror vibes and it was ominous, but I was never afraid necessarily. Gotcha. I, I found myself to be pretty scared hmm. uh, going through a lot of these levels. I'm um, pretty susceptible to being scared, though. I scare easy. So mm-hmm. I, I found this game to be pretty scary. Um, I think that still the survival horror dna is still in this game Mm -hmm. from uh the original inspirations for the first game definitely still here and it's only it's only scarier in my opinion because the lighting is so much better and the sound design is better you hear stuff that creeps you out you hear a clicker a couple rooms away all that stuff the audio design absolutely now that you say that i think that achieves the feeling of fear uh for me mm-hmm. more than actually the moment to moment exploration and the risk of being seen it's like sometimes that sound design is what's driving everything it's some of the best sound design that i can think of yeah it's fantastic so like 
as I'm playing through the game, talking in my Discord servers and stuff like that, there were enough people that said like, oh, no, The Last of Us Part Two, not a horror game. And I was like, I how? It's If it was at night, the whole game, you would say it's a horror game. Uh, I just... I've played the, I actually played this alongside the Resident Evil 4 remake, which was a mistake. That's too much tension for one person. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, this game's scarier than the Resident Evil 4 remake. People say really? that's a horror game. So, um, I just, yeah, I found it to be scary. Some of those monsters, uh, the, I know the one you're talking about where you're going, oh, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> um, that one freaked me out. It's, uh, it's real gross. And if you get a close up look on it, it's even worse. And there are oh, a couple yeah. times, like you said, where it's it's in that same level where that boss was mm-hmm. where i saw something and i was like what i hope i don't have to go in there i don't want to go in there you know <laughs> yeah and, and as you talk about that somehow that triggered another thing and this is teetering into spoiler territory but it has to do with workbenches do you know what i'm going to say oh yeah yeah can i go into that now or should i save it yeah go ahead so there's a moment in this game, you're, you're constantly visiting these upgrading benches to like, you know, make your bow better and all that good stuff. And at some point in the game, you just hear some footsteps running up behind you while you're adjusting your weapon, and you just get attacked at this otherwise safe location. And I screamed, I had no <laughs> idea that was going to be possible. And that was one of the moments where, again, this game, it used its medium in a way that the first one really kind of didn't. Um, because mm-hmm. you couldn't, you couldn't put that into a book, right? You couldn't achieve that same sort of um scary effect that the surprise that that initiated uh it was the fact that the game had taught me repeatedly this is safe this is safe this is safe and Mm -hmm. nope it was not and so i ended up not trusting those benches for the rest of the game and and the fact that i felt a little bit on edge that extra little pulse of adrenaline every time thereafter that means that the game effectively did scare the crap out of me yeah yeah i i totally agree and that scared the shit out of me too i'm i'm (laughs) a i jump scare easy too and i'm very affected by jump scares uh too like i there's some people who like they'll something will jump out and they'll go huh that was interesting not me <laughs> uh, i will drop the controller all that stuff uh and that one definitely got me there are other jump scares in the game so like mm-hmm. i did find this to be a relatively scary game mm-hmm. um voice acting is another thing i want to shout out uh, this is shouldn't come as a surprise with the voice cast, uh, Ashley Johnson as Ellie, Troy Baker as Joel, Laura Bailey as a new character named Abby, uh, and many others in the cast. I, I think all around just excellent voice direction and of course, voice acting as well. Yeah, I, I think the voice acting is the thing that carries this game. When people say that The Last of Us Part 1 is like the best story ever told in gaming, uh, which was one of the build taglines for the HBO show recently, um, mm-hmm. I, I obviously don't share that take. But I think the reason it resonates so powerfully and so widely with critics and, and players alike is th- that the performances are at, at, like at the par of cinema. They They really are that... Well done. Um, I think we, we both grew up in an era where video game voice acting was incredibly spotty and it was rare to find something that was convincing and serious. Um, yeah. so, so much of early <laughs> video game voice acting was bad direction, I would say, uh, because that was an afterthought tacked into the game. Mm-hmm. And for th- this to be a primary focus of how this game is designed, or at least how the meaningful storytelling moments are designed, to me, that is the game, is is the voice acting. And, and the voice actors themselves, to me, feel as real within the game as the characters that they are voicing. Uh, it's yep. strange to say that I feel Troy Baker in this game, not just Joel, and so yeah. forth. 
Yeah, I get what you mean. Part of that too is um, facial capture is excellent, as probably as good as I've ever seen. Yeah. Animations for characters, we talked about those. You mentioned the the textures and like the fashion design, what everyone's wearing, how all of that looks. It's mm-hmm. all, I mean, you could maybe not some of like the ancillary characters, but like the top three or four most important characters in the game. There's, I mean, everything about them is iconic, I feel like. So um, there's another... Uh, there's another character design thing I want to talk about later in the spoiler section as it relates to uh, discourse with this game, uh, mm-hmm. but also iconic and memorable um, in a an interesting way. Yeah. Um, music, I guess. Um, the 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 Last of Us music I think has a really great um, like tone throughout the entire soundtrack. The mm-hmm. f- kind of focus on like acoustic guitars and stuff like that, but like real rustic style. Mm-hmm. Um, fits really well with the post-apocalypse uh, setting. They carried it into the TV show. It was so, it fits so well. Um, and I don't have like a ton else to say about the music other than it's excellent and uh, it, it fits the game really well, which if you're not making like JRPG music with like character themes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I want it to fit the game really well and have a recognizable um, like style to it, I guess. Like they have a... a a personal like theme to the soundtrack and how it fits into the game. And I think it's great. It's hard to talk about the last of us music for me because, um, last of us two doesn't have a ton more as far as like soundtrack and atmosphere goes. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are substantially more tracks because it's a bigger game, but they feel very much iterative off of the first game. There's, there's very little like, Oh, this is surprisingly new territory. Um, the individual cover songs that happen throughout the game, I think, stick out to me much more than the actual soundtrack yeah. does. And mm-hmm. so, um, there's like a Pearl Jam cover. There's like a, um, I forget who does the song Take On Me. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's some of those throughout the game where I really do enjoy when those pop up, but it's, it's a shame that the more licensed angled music is what I remember more than the actual, like, uh, Gustavo Santolaya soundtrack. And mm-hmm. there's the big theme that like the HBO show used every time it opened an episode. I hear that in my head as sort of resonating throughout the game, but throughout like the tense combat sequences and stuff, I don't really remember a lot of that more like percussive stuff. So as far as the soundtrack goes in this game, I think the sound design stands above the soundtrack for me. And when I think about my favorite video game soundtracks of all time, I, I think I'm much more, uh, akin to the, let's say, RPG direction of things. That's really where I live. And yeah. this this game, there's not like a Persona 5 takeover. There's not like a Nier Automata <laughs> like ending theme. There's not like an Undertale Megalovania in this this game soundtrack. It's mm-hmm. very much, it's a, it's a vibe, an atmosphere of a soundtrack rather than uh, individually dedicated tracks, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, if, if the worst thing I'm going to say about the soundtrack is that I don't hear it in my head all the time and it doesn't have super recognizable mem- melodies but fits the game perfectly. Hey, good soundtrack. Yeah, it does so, its job. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's take a little music break. We'll hear some of that music and we'll get into the <laughs> gameplay of The Last of Us Part 2.
So in The Last of Us Part 2, it is third person, um, stealth action, explore rhythm, explore stealth action in that order. Uh, very similar to the first game. So I just want to take those in that order, starting with explore. And this is one of the one of the things that I liked about the first game a lot. I didn't know how they could improve on the uh, satisfaction of going through all these houses and scavenging literally every every cabinet, every drawer, every uh, refrigerator, everything for uh, useful trash and loose pills and nails and stuff like that. But it's they did. They made it better, in my opinion, in this because they introduced these open zones, not open world, but like it's not as corridor linear as the first game. Even in linear sections, you'll still have lots of offshoots. And maybe instead of going down in the first game, maybe this was PS3 limitations in the first game, you go down a street and two of the 10 houses would be available to go inside and look around. And I think that ratio is a lot higher in The Last of Us Part Two. And then you find even cooler treats by going and exploring those places. And I just, you know, I was real sicko territory. Just, yes, give me all the loose (laughs) pills. I was having such a great time exploring basically the whole game. I have a horrible habit of collecting things in video games and never using them. And despite never using them, I still go out of my way to collect them regardless. It's a Mm -hmm. weird loop of just somehow the video game taps into my monkey brain and just takes charge. And with Uh The Last of Us, (laughs) especially part two, um, I I exhaustively went through every environment, which probably explains, like I said, the extra playtime that I had on this. And um, it is kind of rewarding to to go out of your way and discover these little secrets, whether they're secrets in terms of just a cool visual or actually like a collectible or other like there's too many collectibles in this game. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you go mm-hmm. through and try and 100% this thing, it's so tedious. It's beyond belief, especially in those really cool open sections like you suggest. Uh, yeah. Early in the game, you get turned loose on horseback in, in Seattle. And that was one of my favorite sequences in the entire game, just because y- y- you do have an objective that is somewhat linear in nature but how you go about it isn't entirely up to you and you have a map that just serves you really well um you can kind of trace your way through it and like you say the density of what you can choose to explore is much higher than what i would have expected given the last game yeah and that map is awesome it's one of those um kind of physical maps within the game world like if if people have played firewatch it's the same kind of deal where you literally pull out a map uh when you learn some new information about a place you should check out. You mark it on the map. The character marks it on the map. And so it, it's really, it shows your location on there. So it's not like perfectly, you know, realistic or whatever, but it, it is cool to actually pull up a physical map, have your character look at it and then say, okay, okay, two blocks this way, then turn right, then go three more blocks and that I'll look for the bank. And then I do that and I look up and there's this giant sign that says Seattle bank or whatever. Um, and I had a great time. That opening section's great. They do it to a lesser extent a few more times throughout the game, never quite to the extent of that mm-hmm. first section. It almost makes me wonder if they like wanted to do more of those like huge zones, and then they were like, oh, that's it's gonna be too much. We can't do that as much as we wanted to. But it's um it's real great going around. I'm glad you mentioned collectibles, because other than collectible collectibles, um The Last of Us is one of the best series, as far as I'm concerned, for uh, picking up materials and crafting. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I 
really don't like in a lot of games that do crafting loot and crafting systems. They feel tacked on and unnecessary. And in The Last of Us, I always felt like it was really awesome how, number one, you can't carry everything you pick up. You have limits. So as much as you want to pick up nine bottles of alcohol, you just can't. (laughs) And the way the crafting system works is you have maybe like five materials that you pick up, six materials, something like that. And then you have like 12 things you can craft. And a lot of those things will overlap materials. And the classic example is a health pack and a Molotov cocktail, which are two of the best things that you could craft, use exactly the same materials. Mm -hmm. So it feels great to go around and find rags and alcohol because you're like, yes, I can make one of the best things. But then you have to make those decisions about what is going to benefit me most right now, not like Dave wants to stack up on 12 health packs because you can't do that either. Well, this is why you got to play on the easiest difficulty so you never have to make those inventory decisions. (laughs) Okay, Uh, fair enough. (laughs) No, but the scarcity is actually really well done in these games. And the fact that you're not sitting there and accounting for a full inventory that you have to rifle through and worry about where everything is. Everything feels very much at the center of this game. And I think that's why it translated so effectively to the factions multiplayer Uh, in the original Mm. game. I think they also nailed the craft, um, the crafting and the collecting elements. And the fact that you could do that on the fly within a multiplayer setting speaks to how efficient it is, how frictionless it is, and also how dynamic it is. You can respond based on the context of what you specifically need. Um, One kind of cool accessibility thing on the note of collecting that I didn't know when I first played this game, and I would just, Mm -hmm. I think I would recommend this to anyone, really. Um, You have to press a button to collect things in this game. I want to say it's triangle. It's been a little bit, might be square, who could say. But um, if you go to the accessibility settings, there's an auto pickup that you can turn on. You can just walk near the the actual cabinets and drawers, and the character (laughs) will just swipe everything for you. You you see their arms going out like like spiders or something, just grabbing everything. Absolutely. Um, Be ready for the (laughs) visual absurdity. um, I have um, RSI in my hands, and so um, repetitively mashing face buttons is an incredibly taxing thing for me to do. And Mm -hmm. um, as simple as it sounds, the fact that the PS5 controller, when I was doing like a little replay uh, of this game, uh, the PS5 controller does not have a back button attachment, at least not yet. And so I can't like map the face buttons to the back. And so the fact that I could just make it an automatic process, I was really grateful to this game for having that accessibility setting. That was really awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you shouted that out. And I'm lucky enough to not have to look in the accessibility settings in uh, most games, except I do turn off QTEs, especially mash QTEs when yeah, I can. Yeah, 100%. Um, this game is like, renowned for its accessibility settings um Mm -hmm. naughty dog is just consistently crushing it with that and i i probably should do more research into that when i'm you know doing these podcasts so shame on me Uh, maybe next time next game i'll look into it a little bit more but do want to shout that out they clearly made this a focus um and i'm glad that you know triple a in general especially in the u.s is making it a bigger focus to expand those accessibility features for sure Absolutely. Did you turn any of those on or toggle with any of them throughout your playthrough? Probably not. I don't remember if this game has actual mash QTEs. I uh, don't think it does. And with maybe one or two scenes being an exception. Yeah. Because I know in Resident Evil 4 Remake, I turned it off immediately, (laughs) the mash stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't think I really dug into that menu too much. Um, it, It felt fine to me the way it was. And again, lucky to say that. Yeah. 
So after you're done exploring, you will come up on uh, a section with some enemies or uh, while you're exploring, some enemies will kind of mosey into the place where you are, which uh, I like that more than the scripted, like I'm exploring, I step on the floor, the the floor falls and now I'm in a room and there's enemies in the next room, something Mm -hmm. like that. feels a lot more natural to just be kind of rifling through a house and then a truckload of enemies drives up because that's their patrol or something. Uh, so that happens. And you go into the stealth section, uh, not a whole lot to talk about here, except, um, you do have a lot of ways that you can manipulate enemies. You've got a lot of silent weapons. You've got a lot of silent ways to take enemies down. Uh, you can throw bottles to create noises, uh, to distract enemies. And in this game, they introduced a new thing where you can lie prone and crawl and, uh, luckily enough, in the post-apocalyptic world, the grass has gotten pretty tall. Mm-hmm. No one's out there cutting the grass. So there's a lot more tall grass you can crawl through to maintain stealth. There's also, as far as stealth goes, um, a lot more strategy, I would say, um, as far as like you can go underneath cars. And there's mm-hmm. also these unpredictable elements of like dogs. I, I don't know if that we want to get yeah, into that yeah. right away. but. Sure. Um, Whereas the previous game, you could be dead silent and just be patient until you wait through like a character to finish their walk cycle before you go up behind them and stab them or whatever. This game prevents you from waiting and just playing the long game patiently because you have the potential of a dog who can sniff you out and the dog will just kind of gradually make your way around. And when you use your sort of uh, hearing to see everything, like the white silhouettes of all the characters, you can make Mm -hmm. out where this dog is and you can't stay stationary for any significant period of time, meaning that you might accidentally have to hop over a windowsill and be spotted or climb out the side of a building through a little hole and just lose your your position on your target and this that sort of forced action i thought was a really effective decision in this game um the other elements of stealth later on um the game actually does something really cool where it enables a sort of interaction within combat between infected and humans or at least like yeah. non-infected and mm-hmm. um the fact that you can sort of release strategically or or put in conflict those characters I thought was really cool. And I actually wish the game did a little more of that because um, the game sort of holds the infected back most of the time. It's either infected or it's humans a lot of the time. But those interactive moments, I actually really found to be the most dynamic and the most interesting. Yeah, that was a big missed opportunity in the first game to like, until the DLC literally never mix humans and infected. Um, And then in the DLC, when they let me do it, I was like, oh, I can use everything I learned about both of these enemy types. And it was great. Um, And it is awesome in this game to be able to do that too. Uh, The dogs will also like, let's say you cross a yard. Uh, If the dog goes to the place where you were, it will pick up your scent Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so speaking of things that made me feel bad, like I don't really, you know, like I said, I lost the, I got desensitized to someone saying, oh shit, they killed Adam. <laughs> but every time I had to shoot a dog in the head, I was like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Again with this, I mean, and they do something really fucked up mm-hmm. and it's, it's a little touch, but all the dogs in the game are not German shepherd military dogs. There's some other breeds in there that you don't associate with violent actions and it's really fucked up. I'm like, again, I respect it because, you know, get your dogs where you can in the post-apocalypse. But part of me was like, I don't want to shoot a golden retriever right now. Yeah, it, it's a weird dynamic between 
uh, me, the player, with my own morality and thinking about the character in this world with that morality, because those are absolutely asymmetrical things. And yeah. <laughs> the fact that I, in real life, would never want to harm an animal under any circumstance, it's a very different calculation when life or death on the line, these people are using these dogs to hunt and to sniff for violent causes. Um, yeah. Like, if you're going to survive this encounter, it's going to depend on you stabbing this dog in the neck quietly. Um, yeah. And and that sucks. I mean, that tells you where the morality has, has shifted. And therefore, like if we're at the point of killing dogs, back to the point about becoming desensitized to Adam and whoever, um, I, I think we're we're past the point of caring about these everyday people um, because we're not feeling any guilt when we murder these helpless little animals who don't deserve this yeah. suffering. A- anyone or anything. Yeah. yeah, the fact that these people who are choosing to engage in this suffering um, are killing them, that's like, that's an afterthought at this point. Yeah. So back to the stealth, um, I I think if you're really good, you could get through a lot of encounters by just stealthing around. I'm not that good. No. Uh, I would <laughs> often maybe take out one or two people mm-hmm. if I get a few good bow shots out. Um, yeah. But it, it's going to break down at some point. And mm-hmm. there's a, a, an adage that a lot of people like to throw out that a stealth game is only as good as what happens once you get caught. Um, and luckily mm-hmm. once you get caught in this game, you get into the meat of the, uh, the gameplay, the combat. So uh third person shooter, just like the first game, you have an array of guns. Ammo is very limited though. So it's, it's something you got to be real calculated with what gun you're using, where you're aiming on people. Sometimes you're like, it would be really great to pull out the sniper rifle right now or the rifle, but I have one bullet. So can I figure out another way? And then the game is also really great at never letting you like be totally helpless. There's a real fine balance to walk, right? Like if you're Mm going to limit my ammo, what if I'm bad and I, and I miss (laughs) a bunch of shots, am I just going to be fucked? And this game I think does a good job of not letting me totally screw myself over like that. Yeah, there's also the addition of um, Ellie's knife, which, um, like the first game, there no one had a knife, um, or at least you had to craft shivs manually. The fact right. that you're, yeah. you're you actually have one um, at this game is like I think kind of a, a lovely adjustment in terms of just giving you an option and out in any like tough combat scenario. And to your point about like ammo conservation. Um, as far as like, once the guns start blazing, like stealth is out of the question, not only is ammo scarce, you're deterred from using that scarce ammo anyway, like at another level. So, um, I always went in a little guns blazing approach. I always just go through stealth until I'm not like, until I'm caught, like you say. And then, um, from there, it just keeping your distance, I find to be the good strategy there. And like the individual guns and the weapons uh, never really felt as good to me as that bow you mentioned. Like it, not only does that help you stay with stealth, but when I played the multiplayer game a ton, that was the weapon I used is the bow. That was just, I don't, it mm-hmm. just feels the most precise with the analog stick aiming with it. And uh, I, I stuck with that whenever possible throughout this game. Yeah. Um, you mentioned keeping your distance, but it's not always possible to keep your distance or at least not for me because the uh, enemy AI in this game is as good as any enemy AI I've uh, faced in a shooter. Mm -hmm. I don't play a lot of shooters, but the AI is great. They'll flank you. They will um, get up on high ground. They won't just all rush through the same doorway one at a time after you. Uh, So I found myself getting like bum rushed pretty often enemies up in my face. And then you get into the melee combat, which was, in my opinion, awful in the first game. 
and in this game it's a lot better uh you have a dodge button so you can do like a quick step to dodge out of the way and it, it when you're in melee combat especially if someone else has a melee weapon you get into this dodge counterattack rhythm to it that looks like uh like the callisto protocol i haven't played that but the videos i've seen looks really similar and it's a lot of fun in this game and close quarters fighting is is actually good and Mm -hmm. if i'm gonna point to one the biggest upgrade to the gameplay in this i think it's melee combat because in the first Mm -hmm. game it was really frustrating and in this one i felt in control even when enemies were up in my face I think one thing I did like about the melee combat that pushes its way through to Last of Us 2 is the fact that when you arm like a melee weapon with like a shiv or something attached to it, it ends up serving as a one hit kill in most cases. And mm-hmm. that that little safety net of just if things hit the fan and I am under attack like by too many directions at once, I have that one guaranteed takeout to create a pathway and and create additional distance while I either reload or, or whatever, swap weapons, etc. And so having the like I I don't remember the first game being awful in the melee combat as much as I remember being frustrated with how little of them you get. Um, This game, I think, is a lot more consistent with how it doles out those physical weapons to you. And because it puts you in so many more of those close quarter situations through like ambushes and such, uh, I I think that it works really effectively in that regard. I would agree. Melee is a pretty big step up here. Yeah. And like you said, when you're playing as Ellie, you have that knife, which is a permanent melee weapon, Mm -hmm. which... um, Shivs were great in the first game, but they were a situational tool instead of a a weapon you could rely on. Speaking of shivs, uh, talk about fighting the infected a little bit because you'll fight them just as often as you'll fight the humans. The infected are really interesting from a stealth perspective as they were in the first game because they introduce a new type in this game. You still have the the regular infected. I forget what they're called. Runners, maybe something like that. Uh, There's the clickers too, the ones that can't see you, but they can hear you. So mm-hmm. you have that don't let this one see me, but don't let that one hear me type mm-hmm. of stealth puzzle to work out. And then there's a new type called stalkers, I think they're called, mm. that will creep around and sneak up on you. Yeah. And the clickers and the runners will just kind of chill until they're alerted to you. But these other ones, they're always creeping around looking. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it so you can't just stay in one place for too long. Kind of like the dogs. Maybe that's why they did it that way. Then when you get into combat, the infected combat felt better. Again, probably because melee is better in this game. Mm-hmm. I think I meleeed the infected a lot more than the humans. The clickers are still one-hit kills, which is something I don't love, still don't love. Um, but I didn't find myself getting killed by them too often after the first couple hours of the game. So like, how how bad was it really? Mm-hmm. So did you... Um, like, did you have fun fighting the infected as well as the humans? Fun is a weird word to use. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean by the asterisk on fun. Um, I <laughs> find fighting the humans a lot more uh, boring or at least less engaging than fighting the infected because there's a sort of dynamism to the infected. Like, just the movement sometimes is erratic and unpredictable. And you mentioned, mm-hmm. like, the stalker. Like, there's, like, little bursts of movement that this thing has. Like, it's moving slowly and, and quietly and all of a sudden it's not. And um, like the fact that it throws multiple types of infected together in this game, um, like, additionally, there's... Um, I can't think of the names of all of them, but there's one that like shoots out like poison gas and stuff. It's not a bloater, but it's like a variation on a bloater. Right. Uh, there, there's, I think, 
one thing that I would like to see if we end up with like a Last of Us Part Three is just a further diversification of the ways that in which the infected continue to evolve and and devolve in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember any specific like everyday encounters being, um, let's say, tougher or anything between infected or humans. But the humans walk in just like a loop, whereas the infected kind of like rattle around and and uh-huh. that is what makes the exploration in the stealth section uh so much more tense for me yeah i definitely feel that and the the fact that none of the human enemies can just kill you in one hit as far as i can remember whereas you know the clickers will uh and speaking of animations the um God. the animation those death animations are pretty brutal that's <laughs> Again, playing this at the same time as Resident Evil 4 Remake and seeing Leon get chainsawed in half and then, oh, let me check out The Last of Us and see someone get their neck torn out. It's it's, it's a lot. I think about the people who have to animate those scenes and imagine the endless hours of just watching gore. And I feel so bad. I, I know that to some extent, some artists probably love that stuff. I've also read accounts of like Mortal Kombat developers being traumatized from having to just look at these like brutal videos over and over and over throughout the day. Um, I personally yeah. would not want that job, but they do a very effective job of communicating the gru- uh, gruesome nature of it. Yeah, that's I have thought about that, too. It, just the amount of time it takes to make those animations look as good as they do. Uh yeah, not me. I mean, maybe the only time I'll say I'm lucky I don't have any artistic skills. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, This is a good time to get into some final thoughts and kind of housekeeping before we get into spoilers. Uh, so, Flora, in this section, I always ask the guest, if you have any wrap-up thoughts, what do you got? But who would you recommend The Last of Us Part 2 to? Um, as far as wrap up thoughts, I think once we get to the spoiler section, I'm going to have a lot more to, uh, to get into because I, I think the discourse around this game is entirely dependent upon those specifics. That being sure. said, um, I would recommend this game honestly to any fan of the original Last of Us game. If it was someone like yourself who was sitting on the sideline a little bit after the release and maybe even feeling mixed or lukewarm about the original game, um, I do think it will satisfy and improve upon just about everything. Uh, the, the cautionary bit being that, uh, don't expect a direct continuation of, of what the first game gave you story wise. Uh, it is linearly a continuation, but, uh, I do think that myself, I, w- I was jarred and surprised in an unwelcome way. And if you mm-hmm. if you set your expectations too firmly, as I think I did, uh, you might run into some of the the issues that I still have with the game. Um, outside of that, I, I don't know that I would recommend this for its shooting alone. I don't know that I would recommend this for its horror alone. It's more of a composite where you come to this game to feel like you're taking part of a, a piece of cinema. And if you like those big budget movie popcorn feeling games, it's not popcorn in the sense of like, yay, adventure, Nathan Drake, <laughs> uh, very different vibes here. But but there are sustained moments of just like just characters talking and and just people feeling things. And if you're into that and like there's some interesting cinematography in this game and stuff like that, I, I think the artistic merits of this game are worth it alone just to develop a critical opinion about. Um, I don't know that any individual thing that you do in this game is like the best of its kind but um very mixed recommendation for me i i think it would probably i'd narrowly say yeah last of fans good outside of that maybe yeah yeah i would agree with that like 
The Last of Us fans for sure. And this is a big game too. Like it's one of the most discourse heavy games that's ever been made. Yeah. And this is a big game to just remember that you should play the game yourself to form your own opinion. Uh, because I definitely saw a lot of people on both extreme ends of the spectrum. I fucking hate this game and I fucking love this game. And I, it got to me a little bit, like it, it did take me a while to want to even consider playing this, hmm. uh, partly because such polarizing reaction. And I am constantly reminding myself, like you're capable of playing a game and forming your own critical opinion. Why not just do it? So this is a big game for that to keep that in mind. But the last of us fans for sure, uh, fans of, you know, cinematic storytelling type video games. This is a very cinematic game. We praise the hell out of basically all the cinematic aspects of this game. Mm -hmm. So definitely for you. And I'll just say, if you like survival horror and resource scarcity and uh, making meaningful decisions with the stuff you have, this game has that too. So recommendation for those uh, people. But just this, this is an odd one where my general recommendation is to, if you're at all interested in seeing what it is, seeing what all the discourse is about for yourself, play it and see it for yourself and form your own opinion. So little housekeeping before spoilers. Uh, Flora, I'm going to put links down in the show notes to um, the website and the podcast, but is there anywhere else that people should look for you or the stuff that you make? Uh, thanks. I would say I'm like, unfortunately, most active on Twitter right now. Um, I, <laughs> I unfortunately being the as soon as I can jump off the ship, I would like to. But uh, for now, it's all we've got. Uh, but you could find me there for now at um, twitter.com slash ludonarrative FM. Uh, and if you're interested, hop in the Left Behind Game Club Discord. Um, that's somewhere that I'm, I check pretty much every day. There's also an Epilogue Gaming Discord. They're both on our respective websites. So if you go to epiloggaming.com or leftbehindgame.club, uh, there's a Discord button. Just click there, hop in, say hi. And, uh, yeah, we talk about all sorts of things in both places. Oh, yeah. I'm going to join that as soon as we're done with this podcast. I didn't know y'all had a server. So awesome, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to hop in there. Yeah, definitely do. Yeah. And another recommendation for everyone listening to check that stuff out. Um, if you like, again, the style of podcast that Tales from the Backlog is, you're definitely going to like Left Behind Game Club as well. So a big recommendation. Um, for Tales from the Backlog, it's just regular podcast supporting stuff. Um, ratings and reviews are super helpful. I would I appreciate everyone who does. Uh, if you write a rating and review and I know who you are in any capacity, I'll send you a picture of my dog. He's very cute. Uh, so there you go. A little treat. And um, Tales from the Backlog has a Discord server as well. We've got a great uh, welcoming, supportive community in there. Love to talk about games and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, we would love to have you. The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, we may have some conversations in there this week. I'm looking forward to having those. And if you want to support monetarily, there's always Patreon. That's patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Um, but any support in any form is always appreciated. So... Flora and I are going to take a break when we come back. Full spoilers for The Last of Us Part 2. Thank you.
All right, Flora and I are back, and it's time for The Last of Us Part 2 spoilers. Now, we're also going to spoil The Last of Us Part 1. Gotta happen. So if you want to tap out because of that, I understand. Um, And this is another warning. We're going to spoil stuff that happens, stuff you see late in the game at the beginning of the spoiler section. So um, just take that spoiler warning for what it the way you should take it get out if you don't want to be spoiled okay so flora i want to start with just kind of the way the last of us part one wrapped up and my expectations going into the last of us part two Mm -hmm. so part one ends with joel basically dooming humanity (laughs) to save ellie um at least the way it's presented now whether you believe that or not up to you but the way it's presented is um joel has made the most selfish choice possible but one that we can all kind of empathize with at least that's the feeling they want you to take away mm-hmm. ellie is going to learn about this at some point this is not going to be a secret forever and at the end of part one uh the way her facial animation is when he tells her she she knows that he's lying right so i expected this game to open with them on real shaky terms hmm. and I expect Ellie to basically hate Joel for what he did. And I expected more people to hate Joel for what he did. And that's not how it opens. And then like throughout the game, you get these flashbacks of how we got to this point where Ellie doesn't hate Joel. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, what did you think of this backstory? I actually interpreted the ending a little bit differently than you. I I think the the read of the final scene where Ellie says, okay, right in front of the camera. um, I I think that most players should take away that she understands that he's lying. But I think there's multiple reads on what that acceptance of the lie means. Is it, okay, I know you're lying and I'm just going to have to grit my teeth and bear it? Or, okay, Mm -hmm. we're done? Or, okay, which I think was closer to your interpretation, or even like... Sorry, my interpretation was like, I know that you're lying, Mm -hmm. and then it kind of just ended there. Like, I didn't put the second half onto it. Sure. Okay, so I may be pushing a little bit into your view. Um, I think the implication of the, okay, I know you're lying, is the the most interesting part of that ending. And personally, just to throw this out there, um, despite my criticisms with The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2... I think the ending to the first Last of Us game is one of the best video game endings of all time. The Agreed. fact that it, it cuts off in the right spot, it leaves you with enough ambiguity, but also enough closure. And I think if they never made another game, which is kind of where I was at, I would have been in a good spot. I would have thought this mm-hmm. game uh, was closer to the classic that people still say it is. The fact that this game now has another part of its canon hanging on the other end of it, I think it, like the Titanic, sort of drags the other half down. <laughs> and um, so, so I can't divorce the two. So anyway, the backstory for all of this leading up to the game um just that extra context is the only thing i would uh, flavor text differently than you but otherwise i'm in the same spot you are i think yeah um so we get basically like a ellie and joel are living living this life together they're still traveling they're still doing stuff together you get this uh scene where they go to a museum together and uh, you can put a hat on joel and put a hat on the dinosaurs and stuff like that but like there's like this feeling that they're just kind of Ellie at least is kind of going through the motions. Um, and then she goes back to that firefly hospital and finds out the truth. Mm-hmm. Some, and all the scenes, I will just say at the beginning, all the scenes in the last of us part two that take place at the firefly hospital feel forced to me in some way. So 
The fact that she's able to go back to this Firefly hospital and find out exactly what happened, eh, like, okay, I'm not sure how. Yeah. There's a bunch of dead bodies there, but, and I forget how she finds, I think it was an audio log or something like that, <laughs> but audio logs always feel a bit contrived to me. Like people yeah. are always recording their final thoughts and on, on cassettes and just leaving them around, you know, mm-hmm. but just taking that for what it is, she finds out, she tells Joel that they're finished, but we know because of how the game actually opens, they're not finished. So then yeah. there's a kind of like a, a forgiveness and, um, kind of a building process after that. And I actually liked that um, because it kind of makes sense to me that Ellie really doesn't have a lot of people in the world that look out for her. And even if she will never truly forgive Joel for what he did, she's going to live with it the best she can, right? Yeah, and I I really didn't expect this game to um, put the, let's say what you've just done is you've resequenced a lot of the game's narrative beats that happen through flashback and whatnot. And you've kind of like yeah, laid, yeah. leave laid out how they all connect. The game doesn't feed it to you that way. And so I, I don't think I was, I was making any, any sort of like remote connection to all of what you just said at that point in time. Like in the beginning, Joel kind of is Joel and Ellie are, are presented separately a little bit and yeah. they, they talk about each other a little bit and they aim to meet together um, through the story but I, I think because so much time has passed, I assumed those wounds had sort of healed. If they're still on speaking terms, and this is a couple years into the future, I'm going to assume, um, without that context yet, that they have patched things up. And um, seeing Ellie on the fence about him is, I find, really interesting to me. Because that relationship, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, is the thing that kept me through the first game. That relationship mm-hmm. is the thing that I really wanted to be the the pulsing heartbeat throughout the sequel. Um, and unfortunately, the game doesn't want to give that to you. And for a very specific reason, like you mentioned, this sort of arc of forgiveness that starts to occur. Um, I, I find that arc of forgiveness to be really powerful. And And when one is ready to forgive someone else for, like, as you say, dooming humanity, um, mm-hmm. or at least <laughs> illegitimizing her wishes. So yeah, yeah it's just, and, it's a lot. And I always kind of got the feeling in the first game that, cause Ellie never gets the choice about what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when they get to the hospital, she's unconscious mm-hmm. during the time when she could have ever had any input yeah. on it. So she never gets to make the choice, but I always felt like she would have sacrificed herself Me too. Uh, pretty clearly. So part of this too is that she's mad at Joel for taking away meaning in her life and the you know the world they live in is going to be a tough one to find personal meaning in when all you're doing is going out and killing zombies day after day. So I understand the anger at her and then in the last scene of the game, she um, – well – one of the last scenes in the game, which takes place before the big event we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, she tells Joel that she can't forgive him for what he did and taking the meaning away from her life, but that she would like to try. And then now this is where they are. They're on fairly good terms when the plot of this game begins. Yeah. That line about, well, the two lines you just invoked one, it's it's not just a question of Joel lying to Ellie. It's also not simply a question of how many people he killed and, and how innocent they were. 
as you say, he has stripped and undermined um, her sense of meaning and purpose. And um, that the way that Ashley Johnson delivers that line back to the voice acting bit and the facial animation bit, like that is a moment that will rip your heart out. Um, because I, I think most people know what it's like to be in that directionless state where you really think about how you are impacting a greater sense of meaning in the world. And, and especially in this environment, I find that to be uh, emotionally striking. But then the but I'd like to try bit. I that mm-hmm. that's the closest this game like got me to tearing up when that happened. Um, I, I cry at everything in video games, and I was surprised mm-hmm. that I was not a weepy wreck throughout the entirety of The Last of Us Part Two. Um, <laughs> as we've talked about a little bit, it's just exhausting, and so I don't think I had the energy to like emote yeah. <laughs> at a certain point. But um, one of my favorite things or tropes in storytelling is where, despite all of the suffering going on in the world, there's this little, like, beacon of hope, this little, like, flower blooming amongst the ashes. And mm. Ellie saying that felt exactly that way for me. And um, it, it's beautiful that that's where the game sort of picks up. Yeah. And and so, like, when the game picks up, um, and so this game does this a couple times where they, they give you something and then they give you all the backstory throughout the rest of the game. Yeah. And I think this was a good thing because I had so many questions and then they were just consistently answered time after time through the game by these flashback scenes. These flashback scenes were also great because this, they're the only sense of like release of tension throughout the game, Mm -hmm. going to the hospital having a little chat at the, um, or not the hospital, the museum, going to the music store or like kind of hanging out before they go to the music store, that leisurely like sniper rifle tutorial mm-hmm. with Tommy. All of those are like, they're the only relief from yeah. the bleakness of the the current day events. Absolutely. And they're so incredibly needed. The fact that this game is so surroundingly bleak, like you mentioned the museum scene with the dinosaur and the space rocket, like that. Is, yeah, I think that's the best scene in the game. And the rocket. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. a moment of just exactly why I'm here that Joel Ellie bond. And it's one of the sweetest parts of that relationship, the thoughtfulness shown by Joel, and he perfectly tailors this birthday occasion to her. Um, and, and like, like you alluded to, like, there's this sort of like covered over sense of things aren't quite perfect yet. Um, and so they're just sort of playing along and humoring each other, but then they like push each other into the water as like a playful gesture and, mm-hmm. um, climb on top of a dinosaur and jump off. And like those moments of bonding, um, I, I was like, I wish I had 10 times this amount. But on the other hand, the fact that they're so sparse makes them so meaningful and makes them so powerful. Yeah. Agreed. So into the modern day story and picking up where I left off in the introduction, I didn't mention at the beginning that you you play as Joel and, El- and Ellie for a minute, and then you play as Abby for a little bit. And then I really like how they give Abby and Joel time together before uh, what happens. Um, Joel saves her life, basically. And then you have the fight zombies um, kind of trial by fire in that um that ski lift terminal there. Uh, and then just when you think everything is, is okay. And that Abby is this interesting new character that you're going to learn, uh, her backstory and all of that. She, uh, fucking kills Joel in a really brutal way. And this was spoiled for me. Dude in the lunchroom was just, Hey, really fucked uh, up how Joel died. And I was like, what man? God. 
like, you know, I play video games, right? You don't think to ask, like, did I play this game or not? Anyway. Um, so let's talk about this. There's a couple things I want to talk about with, uh, this, the shock of seeing it happen and realizing that something Joel did caught up with him, Mm -hmm. but not knowing what was cool to me, I thought, because my immediate thought was, oh, maybe they know that Joel doomed humanity. But then I was like, how would they know that? Then I was like, well, Joel did a bunch. Joel's killed so many people. He's got probably got enemies across the entire country at this point. One of them caught up to him. And I thought the fact that they chose to do this early in the game to kill the most iconic character by having their actions catch up with them in a semi-realistic way, right? I thought that was cool. I liked that. I liked that that was the choice that they made. But after they did that, I was like, you better nail the rest of this Mm -hmm. whole arc. I don't think they did. But first, let's talk about the moment, the killing and that stuff. Yeah, I I felt going into this game that Joel was going to die, and I felt that this game wouldn't be doing anything worthy with its story if Joel made it all the way through. I think that was kind of a given in the way that, like, other Mm. stories, like, certain parental figures kind of need to go once they've served their purpose. And um, the closure, like, you can't just leave the open door of Joel being a mass murderer without recompense. And as you suggest, like, this, the ambiguity of the fact that this could be anyone, like, that reveals this guy is a bad guy. We just, we have an emotional uh, investment in him. And so we kind of see through that a little more and we're willing to forgive in the way of, like, a Walter White Breaking Bad protagonist sort of example, like, where, you Mm -hmm. know, this person's evil and yet you're still sympathizing with them. I wouldn't say evil for Joel. That's maybe an overstretch. But, um... As far as when it's delivered in the game, it's an incredibly, uh, let's say, unexpected choice for Joel to be taken out. Like, I want to say this is like hour three or four of the game. It's really yeah. soon. And I was sitting preparing for like a nice long play session with The Last of Us Part Two, And all of a sudden, again, I'm, I know I'm repeating my point, but like the relationship between Joel and Ellie is why I'm here. And then Joel just gets taken out immediately. And so yeah. the the... The fact that it happened right off the bat was the reason that I, it was jarring. And it's also an incredibly brutal death. Um, he is beaten to death with a golf club. We see his, like, his brains and his skull crack, but also he gets, um, blown with a shotgun. His leg gets, like, absolutely opened up. And it's, um, this guy is clearly not going to make it out of this building before that final golf club blow comes down. Um, I, we should probably mention the fact that Ellie is also in this scene bearing witness to Joel's murder and she mm-hmm. is trying to fight back, but she's being penned down and overpowered. There's tons more people there than her. And, um, in this whole sequence, she's screaming, she's cursing at them and, uh, she, she watches Joel, uh, take the last swing. And I want to say there's like a cut to black right there. And the game just kind of lingers with that little acoustic guitar for a second. And, um, I was shocked, but I was also a little bit upset, not upset that Joel died. Like, oh, no, my favorite character, this iconic character died. No, I was upset that, oh, no, I thought I had a solid 10 hours with this guy. And now what the heck is this game? Yeah, I so like I said, I got this spoiled for me that he dies, but I didn't know when he would die. And like you said, if this is a 25 hour game, I expected him to die at hour 20, not so early in the game. So it was still shocking when it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, 
The way he dies is super brutal. Uh, the way that Ashley Johnson again sells that, like the, yeah. the anguish, um, when it's all happening, it's just, it's excellent, uh, across the board. Um, and so now it shifted in my head to, I, I even like when I edited down these notes, there's so many times in the notes where I was like theorizing about, okay, why, why did Abby kill Joel? Mm-hmm. Um, was it a random person? Was it because they know he doomed humanity and it's neither of those things. And I actually think the reason why she killed him is one of the worst parts of the story. It seems too neat that her dad was the firefly doctor that was going to operate on Ellie And not only that, that she lives in Seattle, but she somehow found Joel and Ellie in fucking Wyoming. Do you know how big and wild that part of the country is? That just seems way too neat to me. So when that was finally revealed later in the game, I was like, that is the least interesting thing you could have done, I think. I agree with that. It's I I didn't think too critically about it. And um, when... Abby came through with the golf club in the beginning of the game. I was just like, oh, this person is the villain of the game. That's an easy conclusion to draw. Um, and I'm going to have to face <laughs> off against her for a while. And like, right. I hate you. You just took away this character I like. And like, just baby's first analysis. Um, I I do think upon a second pass that it's a bit of a, not a deus ex machina, but like you say, it's incredibly unlikely. I, I haven't traveled out in the, uh, the far west like that. But I, I would say that in this post-apocalyptic time where... Uh, I don't think Jackson is like right on an interstate or anything. It's in this like valley between mountain peaks. Um, chances of finding another civilization do strike me as incredibly low. And then the fact that the first game didn't ever have an, like a presence of Abby, like I think it works to inject this uh, retrospectively and be like, oh, this is a daughter we never met. Here's the connection. Let's just show you the new scene, but with a slightly different perspective. Um, I think that's fine. It doesn't like interrupt the canon or strike me as a logical inconsistency. Uh, it is a little too neat and too tidy for my tastes. And I think it would have been just, just fine if it was like someone else who had a different motivation. It doesn't have to be connected to the climax of the previous game to be meaningful for me to buy in. Yeah. The, the thing that really got me was there was a line where someone was like, oh, there's a, there's a man traveling with a teenage girl out in Jackson, Wyoming. And <laughs> it was like, oh, is this the only man that's traveling with a teenage girl in the entire country? We better travel and, and find them. I was like, okay, come on. So I like the fact that Joel died. I like the fact that he, that he died as early as he did. I like that. And I also like that this is an outside force that came in the the consequences of his actions mm-hmm. they caught up with him not related to Ellie at all like you know someone in the camp would find out and kill Joel for what he did to humanity or uh the, the fireflies would come back mm-hmm. uh because someone survived and saw nobody survived in the hospital no one that was there and like saw him do it right yeah so like i like it but then the way they explained it felt too neat to me. So they tell you that late enough in the game that like, I didn't have time to be like, that's bullshit. I I'm out. Cause I'd already been in on the mystery for 20 hours by the time you learn that. So the hunt for Abby is on, right? Mm-hmm. Anything else about Joel's, uh, Joel's death and the introduction of Abby? 
Not necessarily, although as you were rattling off the possibilities of like how this could have been done differently, I had this bizarre Shakespearean like, what if Ellie killed Joel in some yeah that too like the, yeah. It sounds a little grandiose and silly, but I I actually imagine that could work well thematically as far as like uh, tragedy and catharsis goes. Like th- this game wants you to feel these things, and I can imagine confronting him physically, and like maybe because he's done something horrible or is about to do something worse, um, and Ellie being one of the few people where she can approach him in this moment of uh, divorced contract or contact from reality. I mean, like I I don't know. There's something there. I'm I guess I'm glad it, it is what it is because at this point I've let it settle in my head, and I think Abby's a really cool character despite everything else. Um, but, but for mm. Joel's piece, um, like you say, I, I think that what, the, what his death serves to do is interesting enough that, um, I, again, when it was revealed later through the game, um, I, I was like, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So the hunt for Abby is on and Ellie is, uh, is heading out on the road to find Abby, you go to Seattle. Um, you have that really brilliant opening, like downtown Seattle section where you're exploring around, you find tips about uh, weapon stashes and stuff. And it, super rewarding. Um, and then after that scene, there's like five more hours where nothing happens. You are just killing a bunch of, uh, wolves. They call them, um, Dina shows up and then, uh, Jesse shows up. That's all that happens. And this is the part where I'm like, cut this five hours into one, have Dina and Jesse show up together, Mm -hmm. um, or something like after the fact, I agree with that. I also think that um, I really like Dina as a character uh, for a lot of okay. reasons and spending time with her character, especially as Ellie was something that I that's like the moment to moment dialogue, but also some of the more like um, cloistered in scenes like the guitar playing and whatnot. I, I found those things to be really worth my time. Jesse's character is also um, kind of good for quips, just a little bit of comic relief as you go through things. That, um, and like, I, I liked his presence. I don't think I needed Jesse as a character to um, work my way through the game. What he serves to do really for me is to uh, advance the plot ultimately with where mm-hmm. his storyline goes. Uh, but but as far as Dina is concerned, I, I really actually, because of my fondness for that character, I think I, I was okay with spending some of that time. But again, the, the parts you could cut are the combat sections. So, Yeah, I, I think Dina's... The fact that Dina is there is good to keep showing the human side of Ellie because Ellie, um, Ellie needs somebody to care about and care for eventually Mm -hmm. uh, so that she doesn't just become a complete monster along the way as she's killing all these people in the most brutal way on this big revenge thing. And you have this idea of what's going to happen when Ellie does catch up to Abby. Um, so the fact that Dina is there, you find out she's pregnant and that she's sick. So Ellie does need to take care of her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, does keep humanizing Ellie as she slips further and further into darkness. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, this is a big section of the game where I, d- I don't have like anything to say, really. This is the part where you're going through those subway tunnels. Those are mm-hmm. great. A lot of exploring houses, but uh, the boat section is also cool where you get to explore around and you eventually find that you're going to go to this aquarium uh, where Abby is. It's a it's a bunch of teasing, like, oh, Abby's here at this hospital. Mm-hmm. You go to the hospital. Oh, she just went to the aquarium or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you go out to the aquarium. This was a really cool scene when you're driving the boat in this big stormy weather. Um, it's dark. It's really um, – it's a striking part where you're, like, struggling to get up to this aquarium and, like mm-hmm. – 
in my head, I was like, I'm at hour 10 or 15. I know this game's longer than this, but it feels like we're building up to the climax, right? This game actually has a ton of those moments for me where I, as I was first playing it at least, and again, sort of felt this way when replaying some of it, um, that this game has like eight endings where like you could cut it here. <laughs> um, it just insists upon showing you this, this dual narrative. And um, mm-hmm. I, I know I said it a little flippantly earlier that this could cleanly be two separate games. Maybe I wouldn't commit to that entirely, but there, there's a moment at which like how many fake out endings can you give and how many climaxes can you build towards? Uh, mm-hmm. And this game just is, it throws that out the window. There's no concern for the amount of those. They just, they just keep doing it over and over. And um, I, I was going to say something about like the Dina section leading up to that. Like you mentioned the subway thing. Um, one mm-hmm. little narrative bullet point that I think is, is worth reflecting upon is that in the broader Jackson community, at least um, immunity is not known. And so um, yeah. in the Dina sections, like they're, they wear these gas masks to prevent themselves from inhaling the spores and becoming infected. And mm-hmm. um, I believe Ellie's breaks. And that was like the first moment where they sort of have that discussion. And, um, and just seeing that like extra, um, seeing how that information is dealt with within the broader canon of this new civilization, I, I thought was like a little interesting blip within the overall, like you say, kind of like instrumental forgettable traversal sections. Mm-hmm. It, it almost becomes um, like, for Ellie, it almost becomes like a superpower of, of some kind. Like she wields it mm-hmm. later uh, when she confronts um, Nora is her name down in, in that hospital, right? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how I think it was just kind of how it was in the first game that she was immune and you're going to take her to the hospital to in uh, or take her to Colorado or whatever to uh, help make a vaccine. But now it's just she she uses it to her advantage a lot more in this one and uh it's pretty interesting how the, it becomes a greater part of her character uh in this you know yeah that part against nora i guess i just mentioned before we get to the aquarium where ellie does something real bad uh that part was where um she really felt the most like joel in that part mm-hmm. in the hospital uh where she's basically they fall down into this, another floor collapses, right? And they, they fall down um, into the basement that's full of these spores. And Ellie is fine, obviously, but Nora is, you can see it infecting her. And Ellie is like kind of having fun with uh, how much she's going to torture Nora to get the information on where Abby is. And that's like, I think the thing Ellie does next is worse, but she takes more pleasure in what she does to Nora here. And it's like the big, one of the big villain moments for Ellie. I feel like you're referring to something that I'm now forgetting because it's been a couple of years since I've been in the scene. The big thing that I remember in this subway sequence with Nora is the cutscene I alluded to earlier. That's not really a cutscene where you have to press Swing square it. to start swinging the weapon on her. Mm-hmm. Um, was there something else leading to that you were referring to, or was it specifically that she is? Um, so before you start swinging, um, she's interrogating Nora mm-hmm. and just basically saying like, Hey, I'm fine down here. And like, while you can still feel things before you turn, I'm going to make this as painful as possible Yeah, okay. Uh, to get this information. And she's like kind of delighting in it yeah. a little bit the way that Joel used to do. It, and to the connection that you're speaking to between Joel and Ellie, I think the thing that they both kind of relish in is a sense of power. Um, they both, if nothing else have strength in this world, if nothing else, like morality, mm-hmm. maybe, but the strength, 
they definitely have that. And, yeah. uh, and when they're able to unleash it fully without that, like, conscience in the back of their mind, like, Joel or Dina aren't there to judge Ellie in this moment. Um, like, and vice versa, when Joel goes on his murderous rampage at the end of the first game, Ellie's unconscious and isn't there to judge him in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. seeing them let loose of those sort of moral shackles is, really interesting it's also disturbing because this is one of those moments where i said earlier like i wish i didn't have to press this button right now um Mm -hmm. especially after like you just said that interrogation i'm enabling sadistic behavior i'm enabling torture of someone who okay maybe they're connected to some shady uh dealings and maybe they have done some bad things themselves and have have a direct connection to the murder of your father figure but um goodness she escalates it beyond (laughs) the degree of reason yeah and this is um had the Ellie section of the game been the entire game, it would have been one of those games where you slowly realize, or maybe not so slowly realize that your character is becoming the villain uh, of the story, uh, which is mm-hmm. something that is not new in video games anymore. But um, I, I think that in the last of us, we can all kind of expect that kind of thing to happen from time to time. But it doesn't stop here. And that's like one of the things that I actually think is really cool about this game is that that's not the only thing they're trying to do with this idea. Yeah, absolutely. I I find that a lot of the complaints about this game initially were that you were forced to uh, play as a villain uh, or at least have someone with villainous motivations like revenge. And I find that to be enjoyable in a weird way like not enjoyable as in like this is bringing me joy but enjoyable in the sense of i like exploring parts of the human psyche that i don't otherwise inhabit and Mm -hmm. um i don't think just because something challenges me and makes me uncomfortable that it's inherently bad and that i dislike the thing because it has put me in that uncomfortable situation um so even though i i'm expressing the fact that i kind of wish i didn't have to press these buttons and i kind of wish that this character wasn't making these decisions um i find it to be engaging and back to that word that i said at the beginning of the show like it's a very bold direction for the game to take because mm-hmm. people love i mean ellie in the first game she learned to become a killer mm-hmm. basically like part of the part of the relationship development in the first game was when joel finally starts to trust ellie to help him kill people um to kind of put that bluntly but that's functionally what was happening but Ellie ended the first game still as a lovable, somewhat, still somewhat childlike uh, character. And in this game, she has gone so far down the path of destruction mm-hmm. that when you get to this scene, yeah, maybe you're fired up because you want to get to Abby too, as the player. Mm-hmm. You want to get to Abby. But um, that scene with Nora was like, okay, Ellie is... Um, she's having a little bit too much fun with this right now, or she's taking too much pleasure out of this right now. And it's cool how, when you get to the aquarium right after this, what happens there is not the same thing that happens in this section. So Ellie kills two more people in the aquarium, but it's not, it doesn't play out anything like this one in the hospital uh, with Nora. So uh, she gets the hospital. Abby's two friends, Owen and Mel are there. Mm -hmm. It, and it's just a hostage situation gone wrong uh, where Ellie kills both of them and then finds out that Mel was pregnant and um, a little bit of deus ex machina when Tommy shows up right at that <laughs> second. But um, I, I think it's interesting how they did that where, and this is basically, we're almost at the end of this Ellie revenge section here. Mm-hmm. This is one of the climaxes of that. And it, it just, 
it's kind of a mistake instead of a, you know, a Rambo type killing like you had been doing up until this point, you know? Yeah, there's very little cause for celebration, despite her making objective advances towards her primary goal of killing Abby. Mm -hmm. uh, the things that she's doing as she climbs up that ladder are all destructive. There's no way for her to climb back down that ladder because she's kicked down each rung along the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. The game just refuses to let you feel satisfied with these deaths. I mean, the pregnancy reveal being a big one that then repeats in, in a future scene in a moment. Um, I, I yeah. think that that parallel um, reveals once again, in, in case it wasn't obvious, Naughty Dog is wanting us to feel um, that we should be questioning what we are doing as a player. Uh, and mm -hmm. like, does the pregnancy thing work for me? Like, okay, as a stereotype of vulnerability and like an icon of like those we should protect as society. Like, yeah, okay, you picked your, your good example here. But um, as far as the character, uh, if I recall, um, th they aren't exactly... The most likable people when you see them on screen, um, Mel and Owen. If I if I I don't have any like positive associations in my head with those two. Not characters. at not at that time. At least not, not when at you're that playing. Time. It's yeah. the first time you see them mm -hmm. when you um when you kill them basically. So getting to the end of Ellie's section, um, they go back to the theater and Abby shows up. She must have followed Ellie somehow. Of course, we're gonna do it ourselves later but um uh, abby shows up she busts in the door she kills jesse um she looks like she kills tommy but she has tommy captured and ellie kind of throws down her gun puts her hands up and then it cuts and it's a it's a cliffhanger uh so this is the end of the ellie section and this is not how i foresaw it going Absolutely same. You would think that you would win as the video game player, as the, yes. the <laughs> character who is driving the action in the scene. You expect to have victory over over the story. Um, combat encounters are to be overcome and to be won, but the, the game has something else in store for you. The thing yeah. that I would like to speak to is, like, you mentioned that it looks like Tommy is killed. He is shot in the face. He should be dead. There's no yep. reasonable explanation for him coming back later in the story. I think about mm -hmm. the healthcare systems at this time in society. Like, even in the best case scenario, that would be, uh, miraculous. I, it's just, I think it's a little ridiculous that he isn't out at that point. I guess I'm glad because when he comes back, it's, it's worth it, I guess. But just what a unconvincing writing decision for me. Especially in the world of The Last of Us, right? Yeah. This isn't um, this isn't Final Fantasy or <laughs> you know, like a Disney movie or something. This is The Last of Us. People die all the time. Mm -hmm. So, fucking Joel got his head bashed in in the first couple hours of the game. Like, and now yeah. Tommy's going to survive, or Jesse's going to survive getting shot in the head. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, what did you think about this kind of like reversal at the end, and then? Um, how it begins the next section where you you start playing as Abby again. Well, kind of like what you were saying earlier about like building up to the aquarium scene. I I felt like this game at this point was not going to be nearly as long as it was because at the time of release there wasn't a how long to beat estimate. I hadn't read a lot True. of articles because I was trying to sort of stay away from spoilers, especially sto uh, story spoilers. And so I guess naively I was thinking we were building up to a linear uh, climax and that was going to be it and we would beat abby we would get some closure some cutscenes, and uh maybe some reflection afterwards and uh, was i 
feeling like, okay, yeah, I've done everything that I would want to do in a story like this. Like, no, there were still some weird untethered threads that I would like to explore further, but I figured that would be DLC or I figured that would be a sequel or I figured other things. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that this wasn't it and the fact that it goes, you know, like, okay, we're going to just revert over here and focus on something completely different while you just don't know the answer to what happened. You're not going to feel any resolution for another dozen hours. Um, I wouldn't have written the game that way, personally. I was just going to ask you, like, so they they could have done it two ways. They mm-hmm. they could have done it the way they did, where you do all of Ellie's section, mm-hmm. then you do all of Abby's section, and then they meet. Yeah. Or they could have done them concurrently. And it sounds like you think that doing it concurrently <sighs> would have been a better choice. I do. I've, I've had an argument with a couple of people where, at the end of the day, I think the argument for the way they did it is stronger my personal preference is to go back and forth a little more to really feel like both of those characters, like you have a relationship with them that is evolving. Uh, the fact that they're completely separate. I was resentful when I picked up the game as Abby moving forward. I mm-hmm. did not want this. Uh, I didn't want to play as this character. I didn't like this character yet. Uh, yeah. I, I was not like, what, what the heck are you doing? Why am I spending s- not, not just playing as this character, but like, so much time half of the game with this character so in the beginning like right after the scene i'm like okay we're gonna get like another build up from the other side and we're maybe it's gonna like start to crescendo and it won't be nearly as long as it is but no the abby section is the length of what you just played um that was what that was i think moment one for maybe moment two moment one for me that of as far as my distaste towards this game Holy crap, you killed Joel off right away. I don't like that. I was expecting this relationship to be the focal point of this game. Second Mm. breaking point. Okay, now that I've accepted that Ellie's on this revenge quest, I'm now going to have to, like, not see how her revenge quest ends and instead play as the person she's taking revenge on for the foreseeable future. So I I was not having it at this point in time. Um, In retrospect, I think that this is a really interesting uh, narrative structuring decision. I, to answer your question, though, I think flip-flopping chapters would have been cooler for me. It it would have been interesting. Um, Thinking about Yakuza 0, which does Mm. this, flip-flopping chapters. Uh, Yakuza 0 doesn't have one protagonist killing the other protagonist's uh, father figure, but that one allows you to build up both stories at the same time, Mm -hmm. and then you're building toward a conclusion at the end. Um, The way that this is structured... And I'm not saying I dislike it, but I could not 100% focus on Abby's section of the game because I, you just left on the biggest cliffhanger. Yeah. It would be like, um, it would be like if a season of game of Thrones ended with a big cliffhanger and a, your favorite character possibly dying or be about to die. And then they do an entire other season without nothing to do with that cliffhanger at all. Right. So it's it's hard to focus on the stuff that happens in the meantime because I'm like, well, what's going to happen at the end and when am I going to get to that thing at the end? So like when Abby's section started, and it doesn't start with action sequences, it starts with you in this stadium walking around, getting a burrito, arming up, playing fetch with a dog. It was hard for me to focus at that time because I'm so invested in that cliffhanger that was like 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, and now I know that that's not going to happen anytime soon. But on the other hand, I like the decision to take the villain, let me play as the villain, humanize them, show me their side of the story. And I liked how this really fleshes out the world of Seattle 
We see how other people are living in the world, that the, the story of The Last of Us is bigger than Joel and Ellie and all the places they've been. And we get to see now it's not that different. There's fucking, there's evil cults. There's uh mercenary groups. There's, uh, you know, religious leaders and stuff. Nothing is really that different, but we do get to see a different cast of characters and the pressures that they live with and all of that. And I think that's pretty good. Uh, now that I, once I got over that, like, Oh, we're, I'm not going to get the answer for another 10 hours. Once I got over that, I, I really came to like the Abbey section for those reasons. Mm-hmm. The focus you describe or lack thereof, I think is interesting. I, I wouldn't have described it that way, but I agree with that characterization. For me, it was impatience um, because I knew that that narrative through line, like we were going to have the payoff of that scene from that cliffhanger. Eventually, um, yeah. I was sitting there just tapping my toe. And that's why I like when I lament the fact that Naughty Dog games are just constant detours away from the main destination. Like, oh, no, the uh-huh. floor falls through again. Um, <laughs> just like that's the fifth <laughs> time we've said that this podcast, because it's probably like only a third of the time it happens in The Last of Us Part Two. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of like come on i just want to get back to this theater like why are we going over here why are we having this conversation why is this bridge collapsing um all of these little delays made me resent playing as abby as much as the other elements that you mentioned um and then there's a sort of like another thing that i was thinking about with regard to the sort of recognizing that other civilizations are living these complete lives as whole people it's a sort of realization of like Sonder, this idea that everyone is their own protagonist. And yeah. that's a kind of middle school level realization of empathy, where the fact that the game is presenting it as if it's a bold and innovative narrative choice to to humanize this villain. I think that's a little amateur as far as the writing goes. I think it thinks it's doing some 4D chess, but it's really doing kind of just like glorified checkers over here. And is it does it work? Yeah, ultimately I think it does work. Um it's not my favorite decision in the world and I'm a little bit annoyed at first trying to get to know these characters. I think there was a way to do this and introduce this character without maybe giving us this unrelenting series of hours and also like the Yakuza 0 comparison that you mentioned. Um the difference there, the I love Yakuza 0 to death one of my favorite games ever, but the reason the back and forth works I think so well um is because neither character knows each other at least not right away. Yeah. And so there's not that, oh, we have this grudge that we are working towards and we're going to like seek each other out back and forth over the course of the chapter. I don't think Yogg's year would work well if that was the case. And here, mm. I don't think it would work that way either. The storytelling trope or like that, like you said, that middle school realization that everybody's the protagonist in their own story um, wouldn't be as interesting as I think it is when they the way it flips in this game where the protagonist of the first half of the game is now the antagonist. And not only are you going through realizing that Ellie is, can be a very evil person. Now she she's fallen to some degree, Mm -hmm. not only that, but she becomes the direct antagonist in Abby's story. And by the time that, um, by the time that happens, if this part works for you, Abby has been humanized and you come to like Abby to some degree. And I think that that's really good. If they had just made you play as Abby and do something totally unrelated, then it wouldn't have worked uh, as well. Uh, But the fact that one protagonist becomes the antagonist and they're both the villains of each other's stories Mm -hmm. is cool, I think. 
I also think that's cool. Like it, it's Ellie's plot is a descent and Abby's plot is, is an ascent. And I think that they similarly, um, whereas I think when I've written about this game before, I've really focused on the revenge arc of both of these characters and the way that that theme mm-hmm. drives through the narrative. But I also think I haven't yet carved out space to talk about the way Abby's story serves to, um, reject that narrative and, and focus on the, I guess the grace and forgiveness that one should find because Abby recognizes that there's no closure to be found in revenge. Whereas it takes yeah. Ellie until the end of the game to realize that. And so, um, the fact that those things kind of happen in opposite to equal, uh, directions does work for me. It, again, it's just this game is so bloated that the impatience was preventing me at the very first playthrough from, uh, putting up with the themes as they wove themselves throughout the characters. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that when you take over as Abby, this incident in Jackson is pretty far in the past now. It's it's far enough that no one's talking about it. It has become a thing that happened in the past. And they don't no one really mentions it except uh there's a conversation about how Mel was shaken up by what she saw. Mm-hmm. Other than that, Abby's living her regular life. The other people that are there, Manny, who um is one of the people holding Joel down. He's living his regular life. I think his name's Manny. I didn't write his name down. Yeah, Manny's um, like her partner. Right. Um, everyone's living their normal life. And so as you go through this, I'm glad you mentioned, you do get that like that comment from Abby about how like she did it. She doesn't feel completed by the revenge quest. So it's maybe a little foreshadowing for uh, what's going to happen with Ellie later. Mm-hmm. So this part serves to, I think, humanize Abby. And again, I think it's a bold choice to kill one of the most likable characters in the game and then have you control the person who killed them and then say, okay, we're going to make you like this person by the end of this section. And it worked on me. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't as opposed when it first started to playing as Abby. I was like, oh, this is mm, okay. Where are we going with this? And I thought that this worked really well. Uh, by showing how Abby interacts with all of her people, uh, all of her friends. And then of course the, the storyline with um, Lev and Yara and how she takes kind of a protective uh, role for them too. Well, one of the things that I think is really effective is the first encounter in the theater um, is from Ellie's perspective where you're fighting yeah. this this villain, Abby, but then you return to this theater as Abby, now humanized. And fighting yeah. as Ellie is a remarkable moment, again, of this game using itself as a game to advance the story because I don't think you can properly make a reader or a TV viewer feel the things that I felt when playing and fighting against Ellie, this character that I don't want to kill. I don't want to defeat as Abby, even though I now I just upgraded Abby's character and I just built all these relationships with these side characters. And I, I figured out her motivations and um, where she's coming from with where, why she killed Joel and how she sees the world. All of those things conflict in that moment. And the act of playing that combat sequence was very effective for me. Um, yeah. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it. I also felt a little bit overwhelmed at how good of a like combat opponent Ellie is. Um, you play yeah. as her all the time, and then <laughs> she's a formidable AI. And my goodness, yeah, she's, she's ruthless. She's leaving, like, she's leaving like remote mines around the place using her toolkit that you've mastered by this point. Um, it is cool. And like you've seen the carnage 
that Ellie has left in her wake um, with characters that like Owen is a really relatively likable character. He He's fine. Mel is a, she's a doctor. I mean, you, you go through every story with a doctor being like, okay, I can trust the doctor. Right. Um, <laughs> so she's a likable character. And then Ellie kills both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kill their dog too, which, which sucks. It's a, a another dog death. Um, so when you get to that confrontation, it is, um, I was feeling like, oh, maybe Ellie does have to go. Like maybe she is beyond redemption at this point. And the, I'm going to, fight Ellie in the boss fight. Cause that's what the game's making me do. But I, I did see Ellie as the villain in this story, you know, and I think that that's what they're going for. And I think it's pretty effective. Yeah. And I think right after this, if memory serves, we have like Abby beats Ellie in this combat encounter and right. she basically is about to kill her or um, she threatens Dina. Who's like, as we've talked about, like pregnant, kind of sick, unconscious. And she's now yeah. by herself because Jesse's been killed. Um, and Abby is like a knife's breadth away from killing Dina. And then the revelation that she's pregnant, like comes out. And that's an interesting moment too, because you've just unthinkingly killed this pregnant woman on Abby's side. And now, um, on the other end, that sort like the same exact thing has been held against you. And you realize like, this is going to move the needle for this person. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just thought that that was a, an interesting parallel that however explicit, um, it, it further cheapens Ellie's motivation. And like, again, it makes that senseless death really feel like a, a massive toll. Like the game is trying to make you feel the weight of your actions. And I think the pregnancy parallel is one of those where it, it sort of works. And I, I wouldn't have blamed Abby. I wouldn't have found it unbelievable that Abby would have killed both of them in that scene right there. Had she killed Dina and then killed Ellie in however way she wanted to, I'd been like, you know what? Like fuck around and find out like, (laughs) like Abby's done this before she's capable of it. I don't know if, uh, I think it's pretty clear. Like at this point that it's probably not what she wants to do, but you just killed everyone that she cared. Like not you people, you singular character killed everybody that she Mm -hmm. cares about. So if she's going to kill them right then and there, I would have been like, all right, I get it. Yeah, totally. So she doesn't though, because Lev stops her and Lev and Abby's friendship uh, throughout this section of the game is part of that humanizing of Abby. And I think it, I think she needed somebody to kind of take care of. I don't think her having nice friends would have been enough to make me like fully get on her side. Uh, But the fact that she helps these, uh, these runaways, Mm -hmm. um, it helps that they ran away from uh, a, a cult, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that went a long way toward getting me like fully uh, on board with Abby's story, you know? Yeah, it's it's like we watch Abby overcome several degrees of prejudice at once. And it's like ethnic slash racial sort of differences. It's cultural slash religious sort of differences. Um, and then like just the identities of these kids, she, she flips from, um, aggressor to caretaker. Um, and mm-hmm. like that sort, like the two characters in question that she sort of, um, let's say adopts within the story. Um, they, they have very different values than her and they're, they're going through very different things. And just like she has to adapt and she has to empathize and she has to support and protect and seeing those more nurturing 
uh, qualities come out of Abby, I think, are the moments where her character starts to crack for me. And I, I crack in a good way. Like, the exterior yeah. starts to fall away, and I start to see the person underneath. Like, by the way, I don't think we've said this. Abby is ripped. She is absolutely yeah. shredded. And, like, if the <laughs> metaphorical muscles, like, her, like, defensiveness, she's been, like, training for this revenge arc this whole game. Like, mm-hmm. that starts to cut. She starts to soften, so to speak. And uh, and that's where I really warmed up to her character. Yeah. Did you think it was necessary or ham-fisted to include Lev as a transgender character in the game? Uh, yeah, I intentionally, uh, I left that uh, unspoken. I, I figured you would bring that up. Um, I have incredibly mixed feelings about Lev in this game um, as a trans character, specifically the identity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where to begin on this because I, I don't know... <laughs> uh, I don't know the makeup of the writing team. I don't know the ins and outs of how this character was put together. Um, I do believe the person who acted as Lev um, is a trans guy. Um, so that yeah. is pretty cool to like have actual representation within the role that has been cast. Because as far as I'm aware, a lot of trans people are not often cast by like actual trans actors, but rather cis people pretending to be trans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it ultimately can work in the story and frankly in a triple a game to have a a, like explicitly um like outed trans character is really cool um i I would love to see more of that um Mm -hmm. but the problem with lev's character is that it's almost entirely a trauma narrative and i don't think that the nature of his gender like makes me think of him differently like like yes he's going through an additional degree of hatred and discrimination within his family culture and that that is partially why they're so threatening and why they have to leave and why uh the eventual violence against his tribe is sort of like justified within the story but Mm -hmm. you say ham-fisted and i i feel both ways about it i feel on one hand it's a little clumsy it's a little like baby's first trans narrative i'm gonna write a queer character look at me i'm so diverse but on the Uh other end it's like i'm glad that's there because there's not enough of those narratives and i would love Mm -hmm. to see more of those i I think one of the reasons it took me so long to come out in my life was that i didn't have the language and i didn't have the examples of those characters that weren't like presented through ridicule and shame and embarrassment and that sort of thing and so Mm -hmm. to see something framed as like okay, maybe these people hate this character, but at least the character we care about accepts this character. Like, I like right. that. I like that relationship. So very mixed feelings. Uh, it's not great. It's not horrible. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and not to put you on the spot yeah, um, to <laughs> to answer, um, but it is like part of it, it's Lev's story. And it's part of what makes us like Abby. The mm-hmm. fact that uh, not only is Abby like cool with it, mm-hmm. but she's going to help Lev um, yeah. when, when Lev... Uh, goes back to the island to try and make up with his mom. That Abby's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go get Lev. We're gonna go help. And it's interesting. You you said it's a, a trauma story. I guess I didn't think of it because everything's a trauma story in the Last in, of Us. In the Last yeah. of Us, yeah. So why this? Why if this one character was like the only character with a happy ending in the entire series, uh, it would be a little <sighs> odd. Yeah. Well, by framing it as a trauma story, I I guess what I'm trying to highlight is not that that is unique within the larger framework of The Last of Us, but rather when trans characters are depicted in mass media, it's usually like if it is humanized, which oftentimes it's not, but if it is, Mm. then it's almost always about the trauma and the dysphoria and the rejection socially and the difficulties romantically. And it's very rare to see a trans character 
uh, portrayed like neutrally slash positively where they are flawed, which is always interesting to me, but also mm-hmm. they can experience joy and they can experience success in some places and, um, their character can be more than their gender identity, um, mm-hmm. which, Sometimes Lev is, sometimes Lev isn't. Um, the, like the moments where they explicitly talk about the gender, I, I'm like, okay, maybe. Actually, let me back up a thought here. The fan base to this game revolted to to the idea of a trans character. They hated Abby because she was buff, and they hated yeah. Lev because he was trans. Um, and seeing those people melt down brings me endless joy. So, like, <laughs> if, if for nothing else than spite. I'm glad these characters are written the way they are. Um, yeah. But but as someone who likes to consume that type of queer media, just like that's one of my little niches. Um, I, I do think that this game could have had, um, it could have given us, I, I don't want to say it, it sounds like a pun, but like some levity, you know, like uh, ooh, just a little nice. bit of that. <laughs> that's how I know you're a writer. It's <laughs> uh, bad. I try to avoid this. Okay, so yeah, that kind of trauma story, uh, for sure, because the the events of the game with Lev get um, tragic as well. There's, Mm -hmm. there's, well, even I mean, I took a second to think forward in the story, and I'm like, no, there's not really happy ending there, and oh, not that there either. Maybe a happy ending, we're not sure. He's alive. Yeah, he is. So, um, is this what you mean when you said in the elevator pitch that in 2020 this was a on the cutting edge of queer representation. Are, are you suggesting my past tense phrasing is like a backhanded compliment here? Um, well, just that sort of maybe it's... at the time, but a little bit less so now. Um, well, yes and no. Uh, 2020 mm. to 2023 when we're recording. Um, I, I don't know how much you want to get into this at all, but like real world events in the context that like this conversation forms, like the culture and the conversation around trans issues has dramatically shifted even within yeah. the last six months, not to say the last three years. And, um, <clears throat> I think that 2020, uh, this representation is, uh, like we're, we're now at a point where like a lot of like mainstream games, like, uh, I want to say like Apex Legends and stuff, like, like your big shooters all have like openly queer characters now. Um, like Overwatch has had them, um, there's, they're like, but in a story driven game, it's really rare still. Uh, mm-hmm. otherwise they're kind of still tokenized. And I don't want to say that AAA games have like gotten that much better. Um, a recent example that comes to mind is uh, Horizon Forbidden West uh, has some DLC where uh, the main character Aloy is apparently depicted as having a queer relationship, which awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I I just think that like at the time I was willing to uncritically celebrate. Hey, there's a lesbian. Hey, sure. there's a trans guy. Like, mm-hmm. how often do you see those as named and prominent characters in in the media you consume, uh, especially the big budget stuff that has all the advertising behind it. And mm-hmm. so um, I would like to say that the culture has become, in some sense, more attuned and more progressive to it. Uh, but as recent, let's say, legislative efforts have proven otherwise, uh, the culture is also in massive backlash to these issues right now. So um, yeah. I-, I don't know if my phrasing with the past tense actually should be phrased that way. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to gotcha you, but sure. like I, when you said that, I was like, oh, okay. Does she feel differently now? So... Yeah, just wanted to uh, to I, see. I wish we were at a place where like this was like not as big of a deal. Like, oh, headline: this character is queer. But unfortunately, I, I think we're still mired in that space. Oh, as the as the Horizon DLC showed, um, yeah. that was the talk of Twitter for too long. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, I mean, we didn't even mention throughout the game uh, Ellie's relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Dina, and you know, talking about other people as well. So. Uh, <laughs> I knew so little about this game when it came out that I thought Ellie and Abby 
would get together. I did not know anything about who Abby was, what her role in the story was. And I thought that's why people were mad because <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay. So when I started playing it, I was like, Oh, that's not even close to what happens. That's not even close to why people are mad. I mean, I'd say I'd ship it, but given where the story ends, I don't know. I don't think I need <laughs> I that fanfic. The last of us part three. <laughs> I wish I had a clever subtitle for that. That, no. that would have been perfect. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I just, I wanted, wanted to get your thoughts on that um, yeah. because like from, from my perspective, it, it's, it was cool to see um, a trans character in a, a big game like this, but mm -hmm. you know, my, my perspective is as limited as my perspective is. It's pretty limited. Um, yeah. I one, can. Sorry. One last thought. Um, I, yeah. I would just say that like, as a general rule, my, my kind of philosophy on this is like imperfect representation is better than no representation. And so like, okay, this is imperfect representation, but at least it's trying. Like, I'm glad it took a step in this direction, even if I have critiques. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we got to that... Um that boss fight with Ellie, we, we finished up this, um, this revenge tale. Um, and it, it ends with basically Abby, um, catching up with Ellie, beating the shit out of her, uh, almost killing Dina, leaving both of them badly injured. And I thought this was the end of the game and had the game ended right here. I would have loved the ending again, Yeah, but that's not where the game ended. Uh, I mean, I think you could end it at the fight. You could end it at the next scene with the farm. Um, you could, there's just opportunity after opportunity to close out this narrative. <laughs> and it's just never satisfied. The game, like Joel sings a song to Ellie, is like, if I ever were to lose you. And this game is like singing that to us. Like, please don't stop playing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, to speak to the farm scene, I, I think that this is the ending I wanted. Um, this is like happily ever after. Yay. Even if there's some open threads, Ellie's living a life with like her partner. She has like a surrogate kid. There's like the idea like they're like kind of self-sufficient on land that's protected from the infected. Seemingly they might have distant connections with other like civilizational resources, maybe Jackson, maybe otherwise, but like what a perfect little bow on everything. Right? That's mm -hmm. exactly how yeah. it ends, right? Yeah. And you know, you said happy ending. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, this is not the type of story where I want a happy ending. I yeah, want a complicated yeah. ending because I agree. There's, there's no happy endings in this world. But it's not a perfect ending because Ellie didn't get the revenge that she yeah. wanted. She will always have this nagging in her head that she failed mm -hmm. to avenge Joel. And that would have been enough of a complicating factor for me to end it right here. And when it became clear that I was about to head out again, I was like, oh, you know, this game should have been over by now. Yeah. Now it should end, but it's not. So I guess. Yeah. And this is one of those moments where I really noticed how much I was disliking this game is because, I mean, I guess my critique is twofold here. The The base one is that I don't agree or believe in Ellie's motivation to leave this farm, to leave Dina, to leave JJ, this baby, in this, like, otherwise peaceful life. I, I And the idea that she basically, like, 
she is going to be in turmoil for the rest of her life until she has some degree of closure and feeling like a failure, of course, is an undesirable state. But everything else in her life is basically perfect. So throwing that away is it strikes. I just don't I don't believe that, like given everything that she's undergone and and talking, talk with Dina, like mm-hmm. like have those conversations. Dina tries to stop her and she says, we're done. I'll be gone if you enact this revenge quest. And Ellie just pushes through and PTSD or however you want to explain this doesn't work for me. And I've, I've thought about this a lot. I, I just think that that is a contrivance of the plot. They had one more fight they wanted to get to. They had one more little, um, cultural like pocket that they wanted to get to. And, Okay, but I was done kind of like it sounds you were by this point and just ready for this game to find its own ending. Maybe not a happy one, a complicated one, I do agree is more interesting. Um, but the second and like smaller, more superficial point is just about, again, the queer depictions here, um, since it's still in the brain. Like, queer love is difficult to find in fiction and in real life, it's also difficult to make work, at least from my experience and the people that like are in my friend circles and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I also like, in addition to the whole, like you have a happily ever after thing, why are you leaving that behind as a queer person, Ellie leaving that behind? Like I imagine in this post-apocalyptic world, her queerness is even more marginalized than before. Or, or like, that would be my, my assumption. It, it was shown, mm-hmm. it was shown that way in at least one of the flashbacks where, uh, you know, some guy got real mm-hmm. mad that, um, Ellie and Dina kissed in public. Yeah. Yeah. So, so So. that being said, I I think that the additional layer of, of lack of believability here is that like queer love is is always asterisked by the suffering and the trauma that like one undergoes. Uh, and I'm not saying that's every single narrative is like that, but, um, where I was, whereas I was just saying that like Lev should have some positive stuff here. I think that like we should acknowledge the negative stuff that builds up to why this is so positive. So I don't know. It's a twofold thing that I, Mm -hmm. Would it be great to have a happily ever after thing? I agree with you. No, this is the wrong story for that. But I, God dang it, it was peaceful. Yeah. And you mentioned the PTSD. So like, I feel like the inciting thing is that Ellie has a, a flashback, a panic attack um, while she's herding up the, yeah. the sheep or whatever. And it's an interesting way to show that she's haunted still by what happened to Joel. But the... F- I think you said it like I I just don't think that the fact that she has PTSD plus the fact that Tommy comes and calls her a coward would then be like okay I have finally found peace in my life I'm going to throw it all away uh on another extremely shaky uh proposition again you know how far it is to get from Wyoming to Santa Barbara, who knows if Abby's still going to be there when she gets there. But we're making all these uh, leaps of faith for this game's uh, story, those two huge ones that Abby's still going to be there when Ellie gets there. And she is not the way that mm-hmm. she you think she is, but um, it, it's just, and I think this is intentional too, but needlessly throwing away. Yeah. Like, I think they want you to feel like she's throwing away a good situation to yeah, definitely follow this revenge quest that should be over now. Um, but I just don't, it just doesn't add up to me. I, I would have felt like Ellie was singularly driven during that quest to find Abby. And now that that's over, like, I don't think she would have given all that up. I, I, I didn't find it super believable. Kind of like you said. 
Yeah, I forgot about the Tommy Coward bit, but I also don't think we have enough evidence of, like, Ellie having that kind of ego of, like, needing to prove herself yeah, and, exactly. and overcome a challenge and, like, a contest. Like, I think that in a perfect world, uh, like the one we find her on on the farm, Tommy leaves, she talks with Dina, Dina commiserates with her and says, oh, gosh, he's become such a crank and don't listen to him. And, like, that's the end of it. And maybe maybe she has some doubts, but, like think about it as well like you said going to santa barbara and the distance and the time and the likelihood involved with that this is also in a post-apocalypse where like highways are gone yeah she's gonna ride transportation is gone yeah (laughs) yeah like on horseback i i haven't done the math here but i'm gonna guess that this is um a full-on commitment for at least a season yeah um one direction and so uh i just i don't buy it like how how much is revenge worth especially when it's not guaranteed and this game seems to want to say all the way up until the very last moment uh it's worth everything and and that's why i mean it the game feels to me a little self-important when it wants to finally pull back and say no it's not worth everything see um but we still have a little more treading before we reach that point i think yeah i was thinking about that idea of who what type of character would be willing to because this is it feels like ellie feels like this is a suicide mission to go get abby what type of character would agree to that suicide mission somebody who has nothing to lose most of the time that's not ellie ellie's not that person ellie has as idyllic a lifestyle as you could possibly have in this world, which makes it like it makes the fact that she makes this choice a stronger choice, but it doesn't make it more believable. If that makes sense. Yeah. We we understand the impact of it more severely, but it's still maybe not convincing to us. Yeah. So Ellie does head out. Like you said, um, Dina tells her that it's over. She'll be gone when Ellie gets back, if she comes back. Um, and, you have um well first you have a section of Abby and Lev just kind of like living you know following leads trying to find the fireflies um they get caught by a new gang or whatever uh, Yara died I forgot to mention that but she died on the 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 home island uh scene so it's just Abby and Lev um they get captured and so I I like that this throws a wrench in the um the second revenge quest for Ellie. So like what I like about this is like now, if I'm accepting that she is on this quest, even if I don't believe that she would have done it now, she's doing it. So let me evaluate what's happening in front of me. The fact that Abby and Lev get captured and it's not a simple and clean revenge meeting. Um, and like, so they get captured and I immediately thought, Oh, okay, we're going to have Ellie's choice to, rescue or kill abby um and i think that that's an interesting thing they're leading up to we'll get to what actually happens but um it's an interesting twist i think yeah there's at least some implied in game to what ellie's quest is now going to be pursuing like it's not just like okay knife through the heart and it's over there's a little bit more we care about these characters we know that ellie's going to run into these characters we care about and so when they meet there's now an like an inserted degree of uncertainty that prior would not have been there yeah yeah so um we kind of like breeze through this because it's just a lot of going through houses then a a military base although uh, one cool thing um it had been a while since they mixed up infected and human enemies and then when you're in that military base they have a bunch of like uh, one of the ways they torture people is by purposely infecting them. 
uh, which is really fucked up. And I'm surprised it's the first time I've seen it in the last of us world. It seems like something that evil people would have done. Uh, but then you can (laughs) let them free and, and let them go wreak havoc. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people to kill in that, um, that base. They're very helpful to let the clickers loose. Yeah. And and that's what I was alluding to at the beginning. Um, when you like, it's just kind of funny to just like unchain them, sneak back into the grass and just watch all like, you just start hearing explosions and gunfire and people yelling. And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I, I, I do wish there were more of those sections. And in fact, even in those sections, I I don't remember a number. You played this a lot more recently, but memory tells me there's only ever like three infected in those scenes where you can let them go. Um, there, there's never just like a, a massive number of them to really strategically let loose on even numbers. It's always like a tiny number of infected in proportion to the larger number of humans. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple parts where there's one and then there's one where there's like three or four clickers tied up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get through that because uh, it's the last of us. Um, It's kind of like your combat final exam. And then uh, you find Abby and uh, Lev. They've been like strung up on the beach to dehydrate and die that way because Abby tried to escape. Um, And this is, uh, this is something I thought was cool. Abby is um, emaciated, lost all of her muscle uh, looks totally different. Um, and I think it's a good way to show how weakened she is because Abby was, uh, like you said, she was ripped for the entire game and now she's, she's skinny. She, her, her hair's, uh, like grown up and, uh, disheveled. Um, and it's, she looks pathetic, uh, as opposed to how she used to look. Yeah. And considering her physical stature was her identity for so much of this game, um, I, I want to say, like you mentioned her hair, I want to say she, uh, her ponytail gets cut off, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's also that sort of like, I, I think I saw in your notes that there's sort of like Native American parallels with the tribe here that like Lev is from and like the depiction therein. Mm-hmm. Um, like the sort of cutting of hair in some tribalistic rituals, from my understanding, is a massive like uh disrespectful gesture of just like you are unworthy dehumanizing sort of thing and to see that happen to abby even though she's not a part of that culture it still symbolically indicates how she's been seen and and how far she's fallen from you know the earlier stages in the game Mm -hmm. yeah so we have the big confrontation at the end um ellie cuts abby down and they walk out to some boats and then like right at the last second lev is um unconscious or catatonic something like that. Lev's having a hard time. So Abby loads him in the boat and then right at where, right when you think again, like you said, another point where the game could have ended, um, (laughs) Ellie tells Abby, she, I can't let you leave. And, um, says that like basically put him up and (laughs) Abby says no. And then Ellie threatened, puts a knife to Lev's throat and says like, no, you have to. Um, so, I th- it's it's weird because we have these a sequence of like fake out endings where it could have ended but it didn't and if it had ended I would have been cool with it it's like four sections in a row where if it did mm-hmm. end at the end of the um the theater scene I would have been cool with mm-hmm. it it didn't now if it ended with um Abby chilling in the uh the farm or Ellie chilling on the farm I would have mm-hmm. been cool with it but it didn't uh, if it ended with Ellie and Abby just going their separate ways and just kind of acknowledging like this is finished, I would have been cool with it, but it doesn't. 
Uh, and yeah. you have this um, kind of scripted boss fight with with Abby in the water. And yeah, how do you feel about this whole sequence? I I think the build up to it is part of my problem with it. Um, I I echo your thoughts about the the fake out endings, but like from my perspective, the what goes on here, Ellie is killing dozens slash hundreds of people indiscriminately leading up to this mm-hmm. just ruthless murder by the score and so what this game wants to do is to have us consider abby as a unique moral like object of concern here in a way that all of these other people that we've just gone through like you just said the like sort of like final exam for combat like that was gamified and now this is supposed to be humanized and i find that to be a really jarring shift in where this game wants to focus your emotion and focus your empathy mm. and so like okay threatening lev to to get her motivate like at this point i understand this is a personal vendetta but the value of human life on display here like i don't see why ellie didn't just kill this kid like why put the knife to his throat? She just killed hundreds of people. Um, like, what's one more? And she doesn't know this kid. She doesn't know his story. She doesn't know that he's trans and that he's got, like, the relationship with her and why she's protecting um, this kid. It's, um, it's possible th- possible that Ellie remembers Lev from the the theater. From the theater. Because Lev yeah. was the one who told Abby not to kill Dina. So maybe. Right. Lev looks real different now, though. It's been a, a long time out in the sun, you know, mm-hmm. in imprisonment. But yeah, go on. Well, I I think the final thought here is actually that um, in the same way that when Ellie left the farm, I felt a little bit of distress. Like, what are you doing? Come on. Like, this was was just laid out for you and you didn't have to get into this any further. You could have just moved on with your life. Kind of like what you were saying. Like, if they had just gone their separate ways here before Ellie draws the knife and says, no, let's like put him up like you said um i i think that that was another moment of exasperation for me like come on ellie like this is over like what are you doing why do you need this this fight why do you need this confrontation and i've gone way past the point of sympathizing with ellie anymore i still love ellie as like the sort of little girl character that has grown up and i've played as her and like there is still a a feeling of protection and, and affiliation um but now I just, I don't understand this character. I don't relate to this character at all. I don't see myself in their actions and their motivations anymore. Like, this is a fundamentally different person. And um, and I just, I don't understand why I'm doing this. And the game is putting it in my hands. And then we get a boss battle of sorts that is mechanically unlike anything else in the game. I think they know. I think Naughty Dog knows that the the average player if you like ellie uh if you retain any of that you're not going to agree with what she's choosing to do i think that that's yeah. intentional to show that she's so far gone and like this vengeance has rotten her mind so far yeah. that she's like you said not the same person at all it just would have felt in my opinion natural for her to stop at any point before she actually does. So like she doesn't kill Abby. She doesn't kill Lev. They do go their separate ways. And it's because Ellie let up. Ellie won the fight. She was drowning Abby. And then she had the the moment where she said, you know what? Fuck it. Not worth it. We're moving on. But she she could have made that exact same decision three separate times in the 10 minutes leading up to that, but she never did. And I'm not sure what happened to make her make that decision 
then, or she could have made that decision back on the farm. Um, again, like we said, like you said, Tommy calling her a coward doesn't seem like enough to make her throw away her entire life. So now yeah. she makes the decision that she could have made earlier, but I'm not sure what what it was that changed her mind. I think that echoes my prior concern about like, hey, Ellie just killed hundreds of people. What changed now? But yeah. like to be charitable to the game in the way that you're seemingly being with like Naughty Dog knows that we're supposed to recognize Ellie is losing contact with her former self and she's changing as a fundamental person. I, I think that um, the same thing is going on here where like, the flashback that we get where she thinks of Joel, like we're reminded of that line that we discussed earlier in the episode about like um, forgiveness isn't going to be easy, but she's willing to try. Yeah. I, I think that that, that memory is invoked here specifically to just put us back in that headspace of like, okay, Ellie wasn't able to forgive Joel, but maybe can, she can forgive Abby. And maybe like she back to the idea of closure. Um, she's never found closure. She's tried and tried and tried and she's fought her way through and lost her sense of self to derangement. Um, and I, I don't really, again, I don't really buy that. This is like a moment where like both hands on, on Abby, she's underwater. She stabbed her. She's had her fingers bitten off and everything like that. Like, I don't think in the adrenaline this moment that she finds that moral clarity. I just, I think that's so unlikely. Um, but the fact that it happens, like, it has some interesting symbolic parallels with earlier moments in the story. Like as a writer, I think like, I see what you did there. That's a tasteful little nod backwards to, um, that's a nice little closing of the loop to but, the same realization that Abby made dozens of hours before you mean? Yeah. 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 And it, I think it's presented as this big moral profundity, like to the player. Oh my God. In case you didn't notice all the times before, <laughs> here's the lesson. And, um, the fact that the game felt like it wanted to just keep insisting upon the moral of the story is revenge bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, I mean, again, I'm ignoring the other part, which is like forgiveness is good. Um, then I, I don't know. It just too heavy handed for me personally. It didn't work for me. I still felt the emotional devastation of it all. Don't get me wrong. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was feeling dread. I was feeling exhaustion and the feeling of relief when Abby didn't actually die. I, I was I was glad that that's where things ended off. Um, yeah. But I just don't, again, I don't know that I believe Ellie would have gone through those motions to reach that point. I think you nailed, like, I think you nailed it when you said that in the moment when Abby is on her last breath with all the adrenaline, that's the moment where Ellie suddenly is thinking clearly, right? When, <laughs> as opposed to all the moments before, I, I think, I think that's, that's right. Now, Again, th- this story is is kind of um, like a poster child for, okay, so you didn't agree with what, where the writers took the story here. Mm-hmm. Now let's, let's evaluate what the story is, right? Mm-hmm. So what you wanted to happen didn't happen. Now let's, let's see what happens. So after this is over, Abby leaves, Ellie goes back. She's missing her fingers. Dina's gone. The house is empty. So she did lose that there were consequences uh it would have been very um it would have been lame if if she came back and dino was like ellie but it's not what <laughs> happened um yeah and she goes up and tries to play that song on the guitar but she can't because she's missing fingers now um physical manifestation of the consequences of her uh misguided second revenge quest right and so the way that they tacked that on where like Ellie has to live with the mental, um, 
the knowledge that she threw away everything for no reason uh, to come to the same conclusion that they were at before she left the farm. And now she's missing these fingers and like, she can't play the song on guitar. Like that's not going to affect her life that much, but it's a symbolic way to show a physical wear and tear, right. Of physical um, consequences of what she tried to do. So the way that the game finishes with those things to like, really hammer home that was pointless. And yes, she did make her life worse by doing it. I think that that's interesting that they, and, and good that they, that's how this game ends, you know? Yeah. As far as like, if you're like, regardless of what I think about, like the setup, would I have done it this way or the other way, what they end up doing with the given facts at hand, I think makes sense. And they're logically consistent. And like, I, I am a fan of, of characters uh, facing consequences and not getting off free with all these sorts of um, otherwise mistakes, I would call them, or just lapses in judgment. Mm-hmm. But to the point about, like, the physical, like, the lack of fingers, um, I, I don't know if you read it this way, but, like, for me, that is, like, a symbolic cutoff from her relationship with Joel. Like, um, the song that she's trying to play is that song that he it's plays Joel, for her yeah, in the beginning. Joel's song. It's, okay, yeah, yeah. And so the fact that she, like, only having two fingers, she can't articulate the whole chord, um, she can never quite get back to that relationship that she's had severed from Joel. She can never quite, like, like that's the whole, it's, like, physically embodying the revenge quest that she has uh, been repeatedly, as you've said, uh, going on. And so uh, I, I like that. Like, I don't like the desperate note where Ellie has lost everything. She's lost Joel. She's lost Dina. She's lost just... <laughs> There's nothing left in her life, including her fingers. And um, I don't want that for Ellie. But oddly, this ending feels as bleak as it is. Do you get a vibe of hope at all at this ending? She walks away from the house. She leans the guitar uh, in the window. And it's like kind of a sunny afternoon as she leaves. Like something about that felt like, okay, there's more here. I don't know what that is. I don't know if I want more. But Hmm. like Ellie is not done. And so that implies there's more coming. It's definitely a um, a starting of a new chapter, for sure. Mm-hmm. And with the beginning of a new chapter comes hope that it'll be better than the one that came before. So yeah. I definitely see that too, for sure. Uh, <laughs> there are many. There are lots of other ways they could have ended this uh, with, that would have been a lot more bleak than yeah. uh, Ellie setting down the guitar and walking out into the forest as the the in the late afternoon or something like that. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, yeah. If I could offer one final note on this, because yeah. I feel like there's probably not much more to, to go into on this story. Um, I, I think the the place I would have liked this game to end, and it could still bring us back to this guitar sequence, is in the sequence, like you mentioned earlier, um, what if Ellie had a choice to like free Abby or or fight her and kill her? In the moment where you are positioned with Ellie's irrationality wanting to, like, fight Abby in the water, I think it would have been a stronger writing decision, design decision, and just gameplay decision to give the player the choice there. Mm -hmm. Do you want to kill Abby or not? I know it's a binary choice. It feels like a life is strange dilemma where, like, the cutscene pauses and then you wobble your cursor back and forth. But, like, in reality, how different would the Discord, or discourse, rather, be in this game and the community around it if people had different endings if people could choose their ellie and choose that closure to their revenge path like i think that i would feel forgiving of some of the slog and some of the pacing issues earlier in the game if it culminated in me 
deciding is revenge good or bad? Is forgiveness necessary here or not? I think that's a really good point. Um, we, we always ask for more choice in video games. Um, and this story in particular is, is a great one for building up both sides, building up both characters. And then at the end, you would pick what you think is right in that moment. It would be really tough. I don't think I would have killed Abby. I wouldn't either. Uh, just, just because like we've talked about it, Ellie is so misguided at this point. Yeah. And Ellie is more villainous than Abby was like mm-hmm. Abby did one very villainous thing 25 mm-hmm. hours ago. And yeah. we've had almost nothing but Ellie do, making horrible decisions and doing uh, horrible things to people in the meantime. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Abby is not the villain of this story by the time we get to that. So I don't think I would have killed yeah. her, but it, it would have been an interesting choice to let people make that choice for themselves. Do you, do you think that, um, let's say they did give you a choice. Yeah. Would that return still be the same? Every, let's say they give you the choice, you kill Abby or you don't. That plays a different cutscene depending on what you did. And then the ending is still the same. Do you think that would have made a difference? It would for me. And yeah. it, I'm with you in that I actually still would choose the same thing that happens. My problem on both sides of this scene is being railroaded into the moral decision. Mm. And so being railroaded into starting this fight, like I was kind of whinging about, like, why, what's the motivation for Ellie at this point? Like, why is she in- initiating this conflict? Like, I was annoyed that she was still stubbornly doing the thing that I didn't think that made sense for her character to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when she pulls back after initiating what I've just said is an unnecessary conflict that I don't understand the motivations for, since we're going to do it, and then we pull back anyway, I also am railroaded out of that. Like, the fact that it sends me down this path and then wants to pull me out of this path both without me really choosing to do so, I think it cheapens the moral framing of what they're trying to get the player to think about and feel. And just having an option there, like, it would be kind of silly to, like, go through all of that and then double down. Yep, I'm just going to kill Abby. Like, <laughs> I don't see myself doing that. That's That's almost absurd. But knowing that that could be there as an option, I wonder, like... If you're really confident that you just demonstrated to me the severity of this moral lesson in this game, then let's see how many players choose this path and how many are still going to take Abby out. Because I bet it wouldn't be 50-50, but I think it would be, I don't know, 70-30? Something like that? I think there would be a split. I think that this game is less interested in my morality as a player and more interested in making me play as and sympathize and root for people whose actions and morality I don't agree with. Uh, Because I think that the average person is going to play this, know that Ellie's not on a holy quest here, know that Abby's, you know, she did her revenge, but at the end of the day, she's not a monster like she was portrayed in the the opening hours. And I I just don't think this game is interested in my morality uh, as much as my experience of playing as a character whose actions I don't agree with all of these times when we're like, Ellie wouldn't have done this. Ellie wouldn't have done this. Naughty dog is saying she did now Mm -hmm. deal with it as you play. And I I think that, um, I'm of two minds. One, I don't believe that she would have left, but I, I do like that. They're like, okay, you don't believe she would have left, but she did. 
mm-hmm. deal with it and think what you think about her now that she's made the wrong choice yet again. Uh, and I think that's interesting. So there's never been a series about my morality. Had they given me the choice at the end, I think it's pretty clear. I, it wouldn't have been a choice, really. I would have done the exact same thing. Hmm. I think that's all valid, and I don't disagree with any of that. Um, hmm. The only part that I might find some daylight between us on is the statement you made about like the game not being concerned with your morality. Because um, if that's true, then I... I don't quite feel the same way with regard to uh, what we talked about earlier with the um, like the Nora button press thing. Like you have to engage in torturing her. You have to participate mm-hmm. in that sort of stuff. Um, I, I do think because the game is trying to like implicate you already that it's hard for me to agree to the statement that is not interested in my morality because I think it assumes the player is going to really be resistant. Uh, it frames all of Ellie's actions as actions to be uh, they're they're not noble. They're not admirable. Right. Um, I don't think the, the game is ever portraying Ellie intentionally or unintentionally as heroic. Uh, at any point in this narrative. And so because of that self-awareness, um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I also would say that I see where you're coming from. And like the fact that I, I'm saying, what if there's a choice and we both would still do the same thing indicates that maybe that choice, they probably thought about this and it just was deemed unnecessary. It would have been interesting for the reception because it's, it would have been the first choice you get, you ever get in a famously mm-hmm. at the end of the last of us part one, lots of people went into that, operating room and said, what if I don't kill the doctors? Like, is this a choice? Mm -hmm. Because it's gameplay. Are they giving me a choice? You don't. Nothing will, the doctors will just stand there until you shoot them. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. I think it would have stood out. It would have been an interesting thing to make me think, oh, like, is it worth it? And I agree with you. It's not that Naughty Dog has never been interested in my morality because they're constantly playing on my morality as a, mm-hmm. they assume that most people playing are, are decent people who wouldn't engage in these terrible acts of violence and stuff like that. Right. But mm-hmm. it like my, my choices have never been important to them. It felt like just how I feel about what their characters are doing, you know, that morality. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So Flora, this is, uh, we're almost at three hours now on the recording. Um, this has been a monster episode. This, uh, this game demands, um, the conversation. I think like when I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the last of us part two for the show. The spoiler section is going to be a doozy. We're going to have a ton to talk about here. And Uh I I love this conversation. I thank you so much for taking three hours to talk about it with me. Yeah, it didn't feel like three hours at all. Uh, thank you again for inviting me and having me. And it was a pleasure to speak with you. Even if it's like the topic, I, I feel like <laughs> most of like when you invited me for this show, I was, I was of two minds because one, I like talking about this game, but I also don't like being negative about games. Like yeah. uh, my favorite thing and the reason I do gaming space stuff is because um, there are some games that like make me feel things and make me cry and make me laugh. And like, I, I, I see connections between the other cultural media that inspires me and like you f- form communities around games that you love. And yeah. um, the fact that I'll say this. I'm incredibly critical of The Last of Us um, series, and particularly part two, uh, obviously. Um, but I think the reason I'm so critical and willing to be harsh and maybe hold this to a higher standard than I would other games is because there was a point in time where I really liked it, and especially the first one. And I had high expectations for the sequel. And I don't think there's any value in critiquing something and tearing something down unless you also see and appreciate the good in it. And like, if you look back at the conversation, I, I feel like we have, or at least I despite my sort of um, 
apologetic tone here. Uh, I w- have said some positive things about the game that I think when thinking about it in isolation, I dwell on the negatives, but when discussing it with others, the positives are teased out because there's some undeniably cool stuff happening in this game. Um, and the critiques wouldn't be interesting to think about if the rest wasn't potentially really good. Yeah. And when, when you told me, like when I was giving you some games to possibly talk about on the show and I put this game and you were like, well, I don't, I don't like, I actually really dislike the last of us part two, but I'm up to talk about it. I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. But, um, Mm -hmm. it happens to me too. There's, uh, a couple games on the show in the history of the show that I hated when I was playing. And then when mm-hmm. I come to the episode and I talk to someone who didn't feel as strongly as I did, and I get a chance to talk about the good parts, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a nonstop hate fest. And I, I hate nonstop hate fest, uh, gaming critique and content. It's, it's my least favorite type of thing yeah. other than four dudes sitting around getting drunk, talking about, uh, games. I hate that too, but, um, <laughs> uh, this, uh, this has been a really awesome conversation. And like, for as much as you don't like the game in like the things that stick out to you, um, I think we did find a lot of positive common ground to talk about. And even the parts where you said, I did not like this, uh, you did it the right way. I'll say that. Yeah. So again, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, one final thought. This is just silly, but I have to out myself. So okay. when I wrote my article against this game back in 2020, I mentioned the fact that I returned the collector's edition. I, I was like, I never want to play this game ever again. <laughs> I was so, I've never done that before. Now, what I'm holding up is a copy of The Last of Us Part 2 right now. Mm-hmm. I, it went on sale for like 10 bucks. And yep. after sleeping on it for a couple years and just like letting those feelings marinate, despite the dislike, despite the initial impressions and the ways that I wish this story were different, there's something here, if nothing else, the sandbox of the combat and stuff. And like, I just, I would say um, to those interested who have somehow made it this far, because there's always people like me who sift through spoiler conversations like... Even with the conversation in mind, the mechanics of this game are interesting enough that I think that this game holds up in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, thank you, Flora. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I appreciate everyone who makes it through these three-hour episodes. Uh, This game had a lot to discuss. And so if you made it this far, I appreciate you very much. Thank you to the patrons of Tales from the Backlog and a Top 3 podcast. And tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog. Mm-hmm.